Hello, right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's now episode... 29. 29. So, what happened today? Uh, we interviewed the great Siam Kid. Siam Kid, who uh, we've known for years. He's kind of uh, a prolific entrepreneur. He's got a really interesting way of thinking about life in the world, right? Yeah, he's, um, he's the realistic trader is his kind of... Uh, main business, um, but he has several several business interests, which you'll you'll hear on the show. Um, well, he refers to himself as a group now because of the, the different yeah. He's got he I think he's got nine different businesses, yeah. but uh, the two that he's probably most recognised for was the realistic trade, or is the realistic trader, and also the wealth action plan. But he's um, we've seen him. Yeah, evolve over the last few years into yeah a really interesting, successful individual, really, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, he has uh, one of the things I love best about Siam is is there's kind of no emotion um, with the with the business as such. Um, like he's he's still in emotionally invested obviously in his life and and has a, a great zest for life but when it comes to business things are very kind of matter of fact win or lose it's a game and, it's a, yeah he, he really makes like very that. yeah he's very good at making tactical decisions yes. isn't he he's like and he's an assessing risk so and he doesn't get swallowed by the by the kind of emotional attachment to things yeah which so many of us do definitely and also one of the great things about this interview with him today was he was just, you really got an insight into how he looked at stuff, what what challenges, some pretty big challenges he's had in the past, how he's responded to that. And yeah, if, if you are in business or aspiring to be in business or just like just wondering what on earth to do after going through 2020, um, getting more of Cyan Kid's influence in your life is no bad thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, have a listen, enjoy. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Good morning, Siam. Hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for coming At on. this ridiculous hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're not... Just before we started, we were just talking about the fact that you are not a morning person at all. <laughs> no. So when do you normally not. get up? Um, so, yeah, my wife and I have this rotor, so I have five lines per week, and but I put the kids to bed five nights a week. Um, so typically, um, actually, I have to get up at about half nine for the cleaner to let her in. <laughs> right. Um, so that's my hard, hard wake up time, uh, and, unfortunately. And you're currently, for those that are listening, are sporting a wonderful onesie right now. Oh, yeah. Lovely fleece onesie. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's pretty much all I wear these days. Yeah, yes, we... I do wash it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we mentioned it a couple of times on previous episodes because yeah. you picked up on his onesie. Well, well did you go to Tesco's in it, I believe? Oh, I go everywhere in it. Yeah, Tesco's, the petrol station. I wear it with my wellies. I look like a weirdo, but <laughs> I don't care anymore. You're comfy. 2020, um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I just don't care. So. Yeah, it's probably a healthy way to approach it. So um, one of the reasons why, I mean, we've known each other for quite a few years now, uh, the three of us. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what year it was that we met, but we originally met what was it, Mastermind? I think Lucinda, a friend of ours, Lucinda, introduced us. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. you and Lucinda wanted to get a group of businesses together right back in mm. the day. And we've actually mentioned you... Well, well, there's two people we mention a lot on the podcast, <laughs> which is random, right? You're one of them. 
and um, Tony Robbins is the other, <laughs> randomly. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons why you keep getting brought up on our podcast is because out of all our friends and people we've known in business, I think you've gone through one of the most dramatic and interesting journeys like that we've seen. And um, I put a post up yesterday on our Smiling Entrepreneurs uh, Facebook page where, and I genuinely meant this in terms of like you're, you're fearless and, and all of that, but you definitely walk the walk. You're not one of those guys that just like kind of just are all talk and it's all mm. fake and all this kind of stuff. And we've had the privilege of knowing you as a friend, but being able to see what goes on on the front side, but also what you talk about privately in terms of these are the challenges and you, the impression I get, sorry to be blowing smoke up you right now, but the the impression I've always got is that your, your approach has always been, okay, if I don't know it, someone else has been here before. Someone else has walked, like has solved this problem and you've deliberately gone and either sort them out, read, read out, read stuff about it or anything else. And that's, We've seen that journey. Would you say that's a fair, like thinking yeah, about how you approach I, I challenges? Guess in, the, in the early days, when I knew nothing, I, I did do a lot of hunting of, of knowledge or people, um, but I haven't really done that in the last sort of five years or so. Um, that I guess we, we all follow the same journey when we get into the world of business, where we're like, "Oh my God!" You read, like for me, the big slap in the face was reading the book "Rich Dad Poor Dad," and I was like, "Geez, like." Because I was in the military and I thought, right, I'm going to be in the military for the rest of my life. And then rich dad, poor dad tells me I'm, I'm an idiot. And I was like, shit, I've got to, I've got to leave now. Um, and then you're just, you know, baptism and fire of, you know, all these self-help books and stuff like that. And so you end up becoming a, a, a knowledge or info junkie doing yeah. every business course you can find, having like 10 mentors at a time, um, reading. Like I literally read or listened to an Audible book every week, at least once a week, for the best part of four or five years. Um, but then I quickly realized that to begin with, I don't know how the camera is going to do this, but like, so in the early days, as I increased my knowledge, my business success also grew with it. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is cool. Just read more books. Simple. But then the, the business success sort of plateaued a bit. And I was like, okay, I'm obviously not reading enough. Read more. And so I kept on consuming like freaking everything, everything on YouTube, everything on Audible, etc. But business kept on plateauing and I realized, ah, okay, business is about knowledge to a certain degree until you're not a numpty. Um, but then there's something that I'm missing. And then the key thing I, I realized is that business, well, it's actually very much like trading. Um, I know probably not many people can relate to this, but really I'm a trader. I've been tra trading for 16 years. Um, so business is all about data and we don't have all the data at any point in time. So when I say data, I mean, um, so typically like, like every business owner is like, well, I've got this problem. Should I do this or should I do this or should I do this? Well, the answer is you don't know. And not even if you had a fancy, if even if I had Elon Musk as my mentor, he probably wouldn't know because in fact, lots, lots of different reasons. But at the end of the day is like, you don't know, so what do you need to do to, to get the answer? We well, have to split test it. You just have to do literally all three and then crunch all the data and go, ah, okay, I'll, I'll, that was the one that worked. So I guess for years, my 
mantra has been do fail learn pivot Mm -hmm. and then do that faster than everyone you know yeah so like it looks so from the outside it looks like i'm all comfy now and you know done all right but i promise you i failed harder and faster than anyone i know Mm -hmm. like most people have like horror stories of business etc and i'm like geez i can do i've probably done you know four things more than that in the last month like I once <laughs> here's one which is just stupid like I don't follow football at all I'm not a fan of football um and then when was it when the UK UK no England was in the World Cup was it like a, a couple of years ago or something yeah like that? that was when we first started traveling okay yeah. oh you remember I'm the same as you so I'm not a football follower either, oh but yeah yeah it's because we were well, in France in the final and the oh French I see we're in the final oh, okay <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know. Um, I wasn't uh, following it. And I stupidly spent 20 grand on Facebook ads to promote uh, an event. And it was on a Saturday afternoon. I thought, oh, weekend, Saturday afternoon, it'll be fine. It was England in the semi-finals. And <laughs> I, I spent 20 grand. <laughs> and I, I think 10 people turned up. Oh. In a room that set up for 200 people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was like, I had AV crew, I had like all these tapes, it was a massive auditorium and 10 people turned up. So in the end, uh, yeah, it was just, but yeah, I do things like that all the time. Yeah, but like you also everyone. have a, uh, I remember, I think one of the first times we all sat down and started talking about business, that what was that thing that you used to say, if it doesn't put you in... If it doesn't end up with you being dying or being put in prison. Ah, my filter, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, that, I guess, helps you just, um, oh, no. I I can't think of a friendly way, uh, not a friendly way, so in the Air Force, you know, man the, uh, um, so the filter basically is, um, am I going to die or is someone else going to die? No. Um, Am I going to get hurt or is someone else going to get hurt? No. Am I breaking the law or is someone else breaking the law? No. Well, then freaking do it. Yeah. Like, they are the three worst outcomes you can have. And so, typically, it's always when I'm at a T-junction or a crossroads, I'm like, well, I run it through the filter and I realise, okay, I've got food in my belly, roof in my head, like, and no one's going to jail or getting hurt or dying. Then do it. What, what have you got to lose? Okay, you may lose money. Um, now, that's still a valid point, losing money. Like, I don't like losing money. I don't do it for fun. Um, so I guess the other sort of filter is that I, I look at losses in terms of time, whereas most people look at losses in, in terms of money. So the way I look at it in time is in terms of your, your surplus monthly cash flow. So let's say you are, I don't know, a family or a person uh, or a business owner, okay? Let's say you're a business owner, you're taking in, I don't know, 10 grand a month, you've got eight grand a month in outgoing, so your net surplus is two grand a month, okay? Well, let's say you just had a 10 grand loss on something, a campaign or whatever. Well, a 10 grand loss is really a five month loss. So 10 grand divided by two grand, yeah, equals five. Mm-hmm. So really, that, that, that hiccup or whatever is a five month setback in terms of your monthly profitability. Uh, so for me, I will never stretch myself more than an 18 month setback. Um, but it's very rare that I, I do that. Uh, typically if I do anything silly, it, yeah, it push, pushes me back maybe six months. So so for, for me, like for example, let's take my Insta. Um, 
ev- like with my trading, every single like any big losing trade I have, I just post a screenshot on Insta. So like most people on the internet like always post their losing trades, yeah, um, yeah. so their winning trades or pose in front of Lambos. I just post my losers. Like the other day, I lost over a hundred grand on a trade, and people are like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's different. Like yeah. one, you don't know if what I've just lost is profits that I've already accumulated recently or, you know, what is my net, my net monthly, monthly surplus? So yeah, I look at risk in terms of time really. I was watching a, uh, an interview with um, Sarah Blakely of Spanx a little while ago, and she was talking about the fear of failure, which obviously mm. you've kind of, you've touched on, on here with, you've got your filter and it's, you know, what, what's the worst that can happen? With um, the way that you you approach these things and that and as you say you kind of like fail fast, do you think that removes the fear of failure a bit, or is it still always there but you just kind of power through anyway? Or how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I think one would be lying if they said that they were fearless. I mm-hmm. think everyone has fear. I just manage fear differently, and mm-hmm. I manage risks differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do think trading helps because with trading, like. Most good traders have probably a, a 40, 35 to 40% hit rate. Mm-hmm. So most of my trades actually lose, but, but it's all about your risk to reward ratio. So my winners dwarf my losers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in business. Like I, I don't mind losing and I'll lose hand over fist, but I know that when I do win, it's going to dwarf a year's worth of losers or, or more. Right. And so I treat business very much like I do with my trading. So not only, so like, 10 years ago when I was stone broke because I, because I really was an idiot. Um, I Well, just to put that into context, before oh, you yeah. say any more, when you say stone broke, some people use that phrase when they say, oh, I'm broke. But they don't know, they, they, they're not. They don't know what broke is. Your story Valid. of being broke is broke, right? You, that, mm. that bit where you were I, in the I, shop? I guess. I, so, okay, let's put it into context. I was UK broke. Yeah. I wasn't Thailand broke. No. Okay. I'm a half Thai, half English. Yeah. Um, so obviously, if you go to Thailand and look at poverty there, you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, yeah. if you have a running toilet, you're, you know, <laughs> like, we all, ha- like, in the UK, we have toilets, we have electricity. We- so, yeah, I was UK broke. Okay. So, in the UK, you're not really going to die on, die from starvation, mm-hmm. are you? Um, whereas that's a real thing in the in a developing world. Yeah. So I, what happened was I, I was an Air Force pilot. I left um, to become a full time trader because I had a in hindsight, it was a lucky streak. I had like six or nine months of like absolute beasting it with trading. I mean, like I was this stupid 23 year old driving around base in an Aston Martin, um, just getting all the wrong attention. Uh, but anyway, I thought, ah, screw the Air Force. I've just read Rich Dad, Bored Dad. I need to run my own business. Screw this. I'll be a full-time trader. Jacked in literally my life's work because uh, I've tried to be an Air Force pilot since the age of eight. Anyway, I, I, I quit, forfeited, God knows what. And then within a few months, I lost everything. Um, and then I was down to like a, what was it? Two, I think it was a five grand account. Um and I had to make two grand a month from a five grand account uh, just to pay my rent, my utilities, etc. So that meant I had to make 40% ROI per month, every month. And, uh, and then one month I lost it all. So I lost my whole pot Ooh. and I had no job. Ellie didn't have a job at the time. Ooh. So my trading 
my day trading was supporting everyone. So yeah, that's what we called our cheese and mayo moment because we were in Lidl, literally the cheapest shop I could find. And Ellie came up to me in the aisle with cheese in one hand and mayo in the other, <laughs> shrugged. And I was like, yeah, we can't afford any of those luxuries, honey. Just get more rice. Um, and so then I sort of dive, like, see, the, the other thing, I because I'm really anal in anything I do, I try and, like, maximise everything I, I, I do. So because we're so poor, I was like, right, I'm going to work out the cheapest freaking meal we can get. And I, I, could, I got it down to something like five pence a meal or something <laughs> like that. Because what, wow. what we ended up doing was having pasta um, pasta and rice pretty, pretty much for most meals. Um, and if I was feeling lavish, I would have Marmite pasta, which is <laughs> butter and Marmite in a sauce and cook it in the pan. Oh, man, that's cheap and it's yummy. So, <laughs> I might try yeah, that. so that's I my UK poor. <laughs> yes. So in the end, I just end up getting shitty 16 grand a year admin job at this recruiting firm uh, by day at night I was pulling pints in the farmhouse pub in Norwich and I was trying to get a part-time business going so yeah so that's you, my little so sob just, story out of the way just before <laughs> um, you, you go down that road what drew you to trading in the first place when you were in the RAF where did where did because that's quite an, an unusual uh, thing for an early 20 something especially somebody who has a career doing the job that they've dreamed of doing yeah right yeah so i was 18 so i've always had a lazy streak in me um and so this was i think it was a few months before i started officers training and i was like how how can i make money in my underwear in bed on my laptop <laughs> <laughs> so obviously there was like three things that came to mind it was like um porn nah, no thanks. um gam online gambling and yeah. trading trading seemed a bit tricky so i was like ah online gambling it can't be that hard honestly uh, and i got into online roulette and i thought i had a system um which was basically doubling up every single time i lost um wow. it's called the martingale system which in theory it works however you if you have a big enough bank account and you don't have upper limits on the bet size. And I remember I was risking like two grand to make 50p <laughs> at one point. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then, yeah, so I got good at that. Well, I think I got good. At, my gambling career lasted about two days where I turned, <laughs> I think 500 quid into about five grand. And then I remember like, yeah, oh, I lost it all. And then later that night I got my somehow like MBNA so Virgin credit, I got a credit card overnight to the, you know, I was an 18 year old, I got a five grand credit card with no like references or whatever. And then I blew five grand that night. Ouch. So all of a sudden I was like, no money plus five grand in debt from online gambling in the space of like a day. <laughs> so I didn't, I haven't gambled since. But that, and then I thought, okay, gambling is over, gambling. Right? let's do tr online trading. Let's, you know, there's probably some maths involved there. Yeah, <laughs> and but then I lost about 100 grand in the first four years. So. Oh. Wow. But then you turned that round because obviously then you were driving around in your Aston. Eventually, and, yeah. yeah. Like after year six, I started becoming profitable. But I guess in order to recoup that full 100K, it was probably by year seven or year eight that I, I recouped it. So, mm -hmm. But I had the system. Like, <laughs> So this is how stupid I was when I was younger. I... Um, so I was taking home, what was it, 2,200 pounds a month from the Air Force. And my system was blow two grand a month in the markets and blow 200 quid a month on booze and partying. That was my system. That was it. 
So, yeah. Because one of the problems um, that you talk about in the realistic trader is fighting your ego. That that issue is it's, it's gambling and trading have, are synonymous with those aspects, right? In terms of running away with your ego and stuff like that. And that's something that you say don't get rid of it entirely. You'll never be rid of it entirely, but make sure that when you do oh, yeah. tap into yeah, your right. ego, allow yourself a playground that's safe for your ego to be, right? So a percentage pot. It's all about coping, coping mechanisms, yeah. yeah. Like you'll never change your physiology. Like I have a tiny gambling streak in me. I, I know that I, you know, CRISPR isn't that good at the moment, so I can't genetically edit it at the moment. Um, but so what I have is a coping me- mechanism. So I have like what I call my DIY pension account with 90 to 95% of my trading pot. And that has no silliness whatsoever. That my trading bot does 100% of that trading, and then I've got a tiny pot with five to 10% of my my money, and I go large on that. Yeah. Hell, I blow that account up probably three or four times a year. Yeah, probably <laughs> once a quarter. But every 18 months or so, I five x or 10x it. Wow. So. Yeah, and that's that was a really interesting point because I think a few years ago uh, we were chatting and we. When you follow, when you read a lot of books and you follow a lot of these kind of business leaders or thought leaders and all this kind of stuff, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking, okay, they're almost like monk, like discipline, and they're perfect in everything they do and they have no failings. And I remember us all sitting down and you were like, no, 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 you're going to fail. You're going to, you're going to, you need to, like your own human and you need to have a coping mechanism for that. There's, there's yeah. that, all of that's just hype and marketing and everything else. It's not real. Yeah, so true. Yeah. I think that's part of the Instagram culture, isn't it? And stuff. You only see the highlights. You only see this like veneer of everything's perfect. And yeah, yeah you know, you don't see the reality. It's so true. And um, what people don't see on social media is the mental torment that business owners go through on a daily business, yeah. a day on a daily basis. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and it's literally like we work typically like most small business owners work way longer hours for way less money mm. yeah. in terms of power per hour yeah like for the first five years of business at least yeah. until we can get past certain thresholds and yeah I, I, there, there are yeah, definitely key thresholds that you need to get over as a small business owner otherwise you'll be in a world of pain forever and you'll, you'll never escape it mm. in yeah. fact most i would say most small business owners like if you haven't really got above 100 grand revenue and no let's put it in profit if you haven't got above 60 grand profit um after you know five, five years of giving a go then maybe getting a job is probably actually the best thing yeah. um because what what i see happening with a lot is that, you know that you know people quite rightly going out and setting up a business but then they're spinning their wheels from five or no, let's say within 10 years, let's say not five years, let's say within 10 years, if you're still not getting, getting a business that makes over, you know, 60 grand a year, you're doing something wrong or, and the main thing is it's probably your, your mind. So mm-hmm. I love my dad to bits, but my dad is a prime example of what I try not to be in the world of business. Okay. We are so far alike. So my, my mum and dad set up, um, East Anglia's first Thai restaurant. And it was really popular because it was the only Thai restaurant you could go to. Um, and so he got a whole bunch of big old client base back in the 70s or whatever it was. And he's, so his, his success went like vertically, like very quickly. 
and he's never done any marketing. But what's happened over the last, I guess, decade is that all of his clients are dead or dying because guess what? His clients are baby boomers and they're all dying now. Or oh, they're all in their late or seventies. I mean, he's what, 73. So they're all seventies. And when you're older, you just don't go out as much. Mm-hmm. And so that restaurant has been like in free fall for a long, long time. And he, he's too far gone in terms of, like, he's too set in his way. So he won't do any marketing. He won't do any delegation. Like every day he's hoovering and in the car park and he'll, he won't let anyone else answer the phone. He's a proper owner manager. And I'm like, dad, you're 73. You should not be doing everything. Yeah. Like, hell, you can automate table booking. You can get someone else to pick up the phone. You get someone else to you know, just hoover and clean the car park. Like, but he won't do that. Yeah. So he will always hit the ceiling. Like, he'll never get above a certain level. And I see this all the time with some business owners. Like, they refuse to hire staff because they see it as a massive cost. Mm-hmm. Now, it is, but um, it's think, something which you need to do, mm-hmm. like, 100%. Yeah, that's an important point because you're because anybody that has is listening to this or watching this might think, oh, Siam's made all his success and money in trading, but that's not actually the case, right? No. You, you've expanded into building businesses and owning businesses, and you own multiple businesses now, and apply the thinking that you've just described across multiple assets. Yeah. So what happened? What I realized a long time ago is that trading is not a cash flowing asset class really um i mean it is but the because it got to the point where i was making 10 20 percent a year from trading and i you know my trading was fine but i was trading like a two grand account or five grand account so that's a whole year of trading to make like a grand profit i'm like um so i was how can i get more money in my trading account so i was literally forced into the world of business so i looked um so if you just Google CAGA calculator, C-A-G-R, it stands for compound annual growth rate. And you can basically type in, you know, how much money you have now to how much money you want to have and then the time frame. Mm-hmm. And when I first did this like, ages ago, I was like, okay, I want to, you know, I've got five grand now. I want to be worth five million quid and I want it in five minutes uh, or <laughs> five years, let's say. And the CAGA, if you put that in f- yeah, five years, it comes up like 300%. So it means you need to make 300% ROI every year for five years in a row. And I thought, mm, okay, a bit unrealistic. And then I started having like an honest word my, with myself. And I said, okay, re-gauge my expectations, kid. Um, and then I, I, got, I did it to a point where I just refused to compromise any further. But the CAG still said 50%. And I was like, okay, well, I, I will not compromise my, my, with my goals and my timelines. So shit, I have to make 50% a year every year for the next 10 years to get to my goal. And then I, then I looked, then I started looking at the whole world of assets and, you know, every capital appreciating asset there is, which are loads, and then every cash flowing asset that there is, which are very few. Um, and I realized, ah, okay, the only thing on the planet that makes 50% a year or has a chance of making 50% a year is business. I was like, ah, shit, okay, I'm going to go all in on business. That, that also converged with me reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad a few times. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, let's get my head around, you know, what is, what, what's the data? Where does the land sit in business? And then I saw that old saying, I don't know if the, I, I now know the validity, um, the real stats, but back then I, I heard that nine out of 10 businesses fail. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, this is easy. I'll just set up 10 businesses. Yeah. Uh, what's the risk to reward ratio on you know on that well then I, I looked at okay well let's say I'm a, a real 
slow learner here. And let's say I blow five grand per new business. So 10, 10 businesses, that's 50 grand risk. Okay. And then I, I, could, I sort of had my expectations there. Like worst case scenario, I'll give it, give it 10 shots and you know, I'll be 50 grand down. But what's the upside? And then I, I thought, okay, let's have a really, let's say of those 10, one business did averagely well. Okay, let's say it did five grand a month um, profit. So yeah, that's 60 grand a year actually. So, um, okay, let's say one of those businesses made yeah, five grand a month profit. Well then, okay, in the first year of that business doing well, I would have offset all of the losers. Yeah, That's if you know, my 10th business did okay. But luckily for me, so one, two, three flopped. I think it's lucky number four. And then I did a few more startups. They probably flopped. And then it's been like I, every few attempts, I then get a winner, a few more flops, another winner. To the po- And yeah, so now in hindsight, I can see every mistake I've ever made to the point where when I set up a new business now, I know it all, it all win. I know, like, there's no like, oh, when it will, like I had like, I can map out a new business, um, just using numbers, business is just numbers at the end of the day. And if my really ultra pessimistic um, sort of projections aren't profitable from day one, I I won't even do it. Um, So, oh man, I could talk forever. But I'll, think, I'll just stop now. Sorry. Oh, it's good. I think that's what I've always liked about you is how unemotionally attached you are to things. You, you're you're so analytical right from the get go. Like, like you just said, oh, a few flopped. Whereas me, I'd be going, oh, that that failed, and I did really yeah. badly about it. And you're just like, oh well, move on, because because it because it is just numbers, as you say. It's just it's just like a statistical, yeah, like a, like a chess game, you know. Yeah, but the business isn't. It you, is chess. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, just it, it, I understand most people get really attached to money, but money is just I look at money as a you know monopoly credits mm. um, that they come they go. Um, if you're consistent in your activities and you're cons- always sort of building on your knowledge, you're only going to win. Don't yeah. So do fail, learn, pivot. Literally, yeah. um, the and at the end of the day, you have to. So one of the big breakthroughs for me personally was understanding business metrics a bit, bit better so like you wouldn't be you wouldn't believe how many business owners i've met or meet now that have no idea about their numbers like uh, you, we, we we've chatted about this for years like but your numbers are so important like at a bare minimum you need to know your revenue per month your outgoings per month you, you know like at a bare minimum i mean that is like yeah but you need to know a lot more. But when you look at it in terms of growing a business, again, there's a whole different set of numbers. Um, the two most, I guess the th- three most important stats that I look for when planning out a new business uh, is CPL, CPA, and your conversion rate. So um, CPL, cost per lead, CPA, cost per acquisition, how much does it cost to get you a new customer? And and then the conversion rate. So um, in fact, do you mind if I share my screen and do some doodles? Uh, yeah, 100%, yeah, go for it. It's all, it's all being, um, yeah. So yeah, anybody do, that's listening to uh, this podcast right now, you can find uh, this video on YouTube under Smiling Entrepreneurs. And we'll put the link as well for this on the, uh, uh, on the audio. Cool. Sorry, I, I completely forgot that this is a podcast. <laughs> hey, no, no, it's so, good. It's on YouTube as well. And we can get the video. So it's all good. Okay, cool. Ah, oh, could you make me co-host, please, so I can share the screen? Yeah.
Is that good? I think that's. Um, yeah. Woohoo. Cool. Can you see my doodle pad? Yes. Yeah. Never had a man say that to me before. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, in a nutshell, like, I. I see all these um, videos on YouTube these days. Um, let's use a colorful pen. Um, yeah, there we go. Um, so I see, yeah, loads of videos on YouTube going, hey, don't do funnels, funnels don't work anymore, blah, blah, blah. Um, now, by the way, when I use the word funnel, what I, so uh, it's a very cold word, funnel. No one likes to be in anyone's funnel. <laughs> um, but so I'm just going to use it for ease of um, language here. But really a funnel is simply a, a client attraction journey and that's it every business has to attract clients um and so a funnel or your client attraction journey is how you do it now when you break it down to bare bones it's um so simple so first of all you need eyeballs onto your product okay that's normally in the form of um adverts facebook google youtube ads whatever or you know organic um and then like some sort of, so it doesn't always have to be free or something, but let's just put an offer, okay? And then like, I'm keeping this super simple by the way. And then, I don't know, let's just say main product, okay? You can end up with like absolutely ridiculously complex uh, client attraction journeys, but let's just keep it like this for now. So it, it's like that. Now, all businesses need sales, right? obviously yep. no shit um how do you get sales these days i mean it's 2020 um well in order to get sales you need leads so how do you get leads ah shit you need online leads that's the only way you can control your growth okay so this is so like seven years ago i, was, I realized this I, I went oh man if i need to get good at business i actually have to understand how to control lead flow i online marketing so unfortunately you got to suck it up boys and girls um if you're in business, you absolutely need to understand online marketing because you will get fleeced by online marketing companies. Yeah. And I've been there. I've, I've learned the hard way. So typically, I, I'm not fan, a fan of um, online marketing companies because what they will do is they will take your retainer every month, your, you know, the 500 or two grand a month retainer, and they will keep on earning that regardless whether they give you results. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, like this is why I have like I have a, a marketing company, um, and we only do a win like win win arrangement. So we will only take a percentage of the profits. So there's no retainer like that way. So every all incentives are aligned. Where I'm, like pretty much every marketing company out there, they'll just take their retainer. So you you need to understand online marketing, um, even though I never really wanted to. So the the key thing here is so as I said, what is your CPL? Um, what's your CPA and what is this conversion rate? Okay. So for example, I'm, I'll, I'll give you an, a pretty extreme off, um, example, something which I'm doing right now, actually, again, it's just a little test. So I won't say the business, but I'll just give you prices. So if we just move all of this to the left, here we go. Um, I've created something which is free. It's like a two month trial. It's free. I've rammed in the value, the, the, the content, everything. Um, so what I've done is I've, um, I've put 400, uh, 450 odd people, um, into this, um, this free two month trial. Now the main product is 4,800 pounds. Okay. Right. Now the, the reason I've done this is that I'm simply going to 
force the conversion rate to my favor. So let's say I'm really, really shit. I'm not, I mean, the offer is really good, but let's just say for some reason, the user experience during this two month free trial is really pants. And let's say my conversion rate is an atrocious 1%. Yeah. Now I know with this business is always 20% uh, typically over the last three years, it's been from this, this, this offer over here, this trial, it's been roughly 20% that become a, a new client. But then I just do the maths. Okay, well, let's say it's 1%. So 450 divided by 100. I can, I'm shit at maths. I've still got my calculator from school. I don't think about it. Four and a half. So that's four. So worst case scenario, um, let's just, ignoring net profit, let's just look gross. So let's say four, 800, divide that by one. And then direct costs, another grand at least. So let's just say there's three grand of, do that in my head. That's 12 grand. Um, so I, by the way, I planned all of this out before I, I press go. So, okay, if I get four customers over here, that's 12 grand profit, gross profit. Okay, right. nice. Well, I then work, um, the reason, so yeah, what I actually, wanted is 500 here we haven't hit 500 yet we've actually just got 450 as I, as I do it so i'm turning the the ads off at 500 but anyway so if, if i turn the ads off right now what is my my break even cost per lead and cost per acquisition well if i do so twelve thousand pounds if i do it on the on here so you can see it so 12 calculator twelve thousand. divide that by 450 it's 26, call it 27 quid. Oh, whoop-de-doo. Yeah. So what this means is that if I can drive a free user for 27 quid, so cost, cost per lead, that's me break even with the world's worst conversion rate down here at 1%. Got you. Yeah. Um, and so then it, let's say that is true. Let's say my CPL is that. Well, what's my cost per acquisition? Well, then you just do your 12 grand in... Um, so over here, let's say you've spent 12 grand in ad spend. Well, 12 grand divide that by four, three grand, yeah. So then all of a sudden, worst case scenario, my cost per acquisition is three grand. If my shitty conversion rate is that and my cost per lead is that. Got you. But already we're like a month into this new experiment. The cost per lead that we're, that we're actually seeing is £12.50. Oh, wow. Um, £12.50, which is great. I'll, I'll spend that all day long. Um, now, I don't know the conversion rate, but I know it's not going to be one. But even if it is 1%, it still works because yeah. 450 times uh, £12.50. So I've only spent just under six grand in ad spend. Mm -hmm. So let's round it up. Let's say it's six grand of ad spend up here. Well, with the world's worst conversion rate, I still end up with 12 grand gross profit. So minus the ad spend, so I'll still end up six grand up. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a really important point like, there because I'm really glad you've cut, like, you've touched on uh, CPO and CPA because so many businesses have zero idea what it costs them to get lead and what it costs <laughs> them to make a sale. And the moment you start identifying your tolerances around both those aspects, it makes your business so much more scalable, right? Because you just literally just put more money at the front. Yeah. And just yeah, manage you just add zeros. Yeah. Every new iteration is an extra zero. So for me, um, like let's, so worst case scenario, let's just say, I do end up with a horrific conversion rate and it is 1%, okay? Well, I still make six grand profit from this. Well, all I do 
my next iteration will be okay well i'll just put 60 grand at the top up here which means i'll then end up with 60 grand profit down here yeah okay i'll just do that every month yeah yeah like, what's stopping you okay yes there's a, a capital element people may not have the capital to just dump in it <coughs> but um but yeah so yeah so the a, a major issue this is major by the way that i see everyone fall into these days is that like there's all sorts of fads out there you know become a <laughs> become a podcaster or no, sorry uh, or <laughs> so, join an mlm or yeah. there's so many fads you know fulfilled yeah. by amazon etc and so with 2020 everyone has is now starting a side hustle which is amazing okay this is i think 2020 is that little sort of prod in the in the eyeball for everyone to go okay maybe i should start a, start a side hustle however i see everyone's side hustle all going down the same spiral of doom which i found many years ago which was entering the single product product business so for example let's like let's just use this as you know let's say you you're going to use some ads facebook ads insta whatever um they won't have an offer they they will simply be driving adverts to their main product now let's just say it's a widget company and they're selling widgets for 50 quid okay hey hey they may even have a christmas offer on you know 50 quid what most people like 99.9 percent .9 of new business owners don't understand is that of, of cost per acquisition yeah and i can tell you right now the thing you need to start off with from day one is to assume that your CPA is double that of your, your, your asking price. Mm -hmm. So if you're selling a, a product, a widget, a physical thing for 50 quid, I promise you your cost per acquisition is going to be a hundred quid at least, unless you have a product, which is just so damn amazing. Mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, unless you have a fad product, you can get, normally get that a bit cheaper. Um, so, if you're then and so what happens is that they set up like for example a really close friend of mine against my suggestion bought an online toy shop okay right now it's it's a very niche toy shop so first of all i think this the previous owner was failing in the first place which is why she was selling it um and i was like don't buy it don't buy it don't buy it because <laughs> what is the barrier to entry like what is the barrier to entry of being an online toy shop okay yes it has some quirky toys but well, I could just go and buy the stock from a wholesaler and set up a website. That is the only cost to entry. Yeah. Like, why buy a failing business like that? Um, anyway, ignore me. Um, and so the so each of these, like, baby doll toys are expensive. They are, like, 50 quid. Um, and, in fact, this, this business will be in a very similar situation. So if we just move this up a bit. Um, so if you're bleeding, you know, in ad spend, you know, spending a hundred quid to make a 50 quid sale, you have to, or there's two things you can do. You can either give up the business and go, okay, this doesn't work. Or you can pivot slightly. And when I say pivot slightly, basically you need a back end. You absolutely need a back end, something which will more than offset that CPA. Yeah. So if you're, you know, her, the thing is 50 quid, like shh, go really niche, have like a, a luxury product, which is, I don't know, if it's, let's say it's a doll type of business, sell a doll house for five grand. Okay, you're never gonna, you're barely ever gonna sell them, but what, what's the conversion rate? Like, you know, for every, I mean, let's just do the numbers. Sorry for those listening to this on the podcast. This is just like probably, um, let's, we'll stop this doodling in a sec because I'm probably gonna annoy your 
podcast listeners. Well, no, they should um, look at the video on YouTube. That's what they need to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so for every five, let's just quickly do the math. I do this all day long. I'll just use the online calculator here. Okay, so let's say you want every month to get one, you know, fancy house sold. Okay, well, that means you need 100 over here. So if it's 1% conversion, you need to sell 100 of these 50 quid things. So... 50 times 100, so that's five grand you would have made over here. You would have made five grand from your fancy Barbie house or whatever. So it's 10 grand. Okay. Well, 10 grand. So then, so let's just put 10 grand. I'm running out of space here. 10K. Well, let's just look at the break even stuff. So 10 grand, divide that by 50 quid. So 200 quid CPA. Ah, okay. All of the maths looks a lot better. So yeah. you can now afford to spend 200 quid to get a single doll purchase if that makes sense yeah. yeah and then all of a sudden ah, okay so now let's do a little bit of um investigating so let's say you do maintain a hundred quid cpa yeah. okay well um uh, cpl sorry cost per lead so what this me sorry i've got my numbers wrong there yeah if it's 100 quid sorry 100 quid times uh, 100 over the yeah it's 10 grand yeah sorry that's what your break even sorry but yeah, so yeah. you just got to play the numbers constantly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, well, I was going too fast and I messed up my own maths. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, yeah. and it's also first thing in the morning. But the <laughs> the other thing, though, what this does is it allows you to test ideas, test products, test outcomes. Which, if you have no idea what your CPA is or your CPL is, you can't do that mm. without. And so many businesses go out there and they spend so much time on creating the perfect web page, the perfect like piece of marketing, yeah. perfect package, pick a number out of thin air and then go, right, let's just go sell it and hope for the best. Yeah. And yeah, it's adding what's really important about, <coughs> for me about that takeaway that you just did was you can offset loss-making product by higher end product the other side. And your business should be a holistic approach as a problem yeah. solving rather than just a one widget hope prayer, basically. Yeah, exactly. So the, 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 there's an added flip side to this. So you'll find every good business on the planet has, has a back end, as in a profitable back end. If yeah. they have, you know, um, something like a loss leader, they'll have a profitable back end. Now, the beauty of this is that if your back end is profitable enough, if it's expensive enough, what this allows you to do is drown out your competition. So what I, I, I think of things differently, what I actually like to do now, like I spent the best part of probably nine, eight, eight to eight years obsessing about how I can get my cost per lead down mm -hmm. and my cost per acquisition down. Because obviously, you know, shortened capital ad spend, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's the wrong way to think of it. So this, this may not blow your mind, but when this twi tweaked and twigged in my head, it, it was like a wet fish being slapped around <laughs> my face. <laughs> You, I now obsess about how can I increase my CPL and how can I increase my CPA? Right. Which sounds very counterintuitive. But what this means is that if I can create a profitable business on a, with a CPA which is wildly expensive, what does this mean about my competitors? I would drown the shit out of my competitors because I'll be happily spending, you know, five grand to get a two grand customer. But, and if I then grow my marketing so so much so that I'm literally buying up all the traffic there is, 
all my competitors won't be able to afford to spend five grand to get a two grand customer. Yeah. Well, and that they ties, just won't be able to afford it. Yeah, and that ties into the concept of lifetime value of a customer, right? As well. Correct. So because a lot the of the other magic just, tool, um, yeah, ma- metric. Because a lot of people just, from what you've just said, might be thinking, well, hang on a second, that doesn't make sense. Why would I spend five grand to get a two grand customer? Because they're thinking of a one-to-one transaction and that's the end of the relationship. But that's not the end. Of, it's the start of a relationship. They're effectively, it's what it costs to buy them into your the world that you're building for them. That's why Apple spends so much money on their marketing and their yeah. product and their stuff like that because they know once you're yeah. in the ecosystem, you're in it for a really long time, yeah. right? Yeah. So going back to that that example of this new campaign I'm doing at the moment, let's say I did have that 1% conversion rate. I'm still not that fussed because I know my average lifespan client, again, client lifespan sounds so clinical, but I know that on average, my clients stay with me for three years. Yeah. So, so it's basically, if I get those four customers, that's 12 times three, that's actually 36 grand revenue, you know, profit from a six grand ad spend. So yeah. like, yeah. And when you look at all the big boys, so if you look at every unicorn that's happened over the last few years, um, or hell, over the last decade, decade or so, um, Uber, Airbnb, Amazon, I mean, that was 20 odd years ago, but all the big boys, what they do is they massively go underwater for the best part of 10 years. Yeah. And all they're doing is they're like Netflix, prime example. Netflix, I think I, when they first got going, their CPA was three years. I, I always have this in the back of my head because they're like, right, we need to take out Blockbuster. We need to take out, you know, change people's habits, etc. Mm-hmm. How are we going to do that? Then no one's going to pay, you know, 10 quid a month to have some sort of streaming service because no one did it. Mm-hmm. So they had to, they were forced to basically drown out the market with their ad spend and destroy everyone else in, in, in the process. So they are happily spending three years worth of income uh, you know, a client's revenue, like, what is that? So let's work it out. So I think, what is it, eight quid a month? Or so, like, back then, I think it was 9.99. So call it 10 uh, times 12, so that's 120. So 120 times three, shit. So they're spending roughly $360 to get a $9 a month customer. Yeah. So they're three years. But all they, all you do, I mean, and this is where numbers make it so simple and clinical because you just go, right, well, how many customers do we need? Well, we need at least to get this going, I don't know, 5 million customers. Okay, well, 5 million customers times three years equals, you know, 100 million or X million um, ad spend. Sweet, let's go and borrow it. Yeah. What are interest rates these days? Cheap as shit. Yeah. Okay, let's go and borrow money at 2% and let's go and hoover up all our clients. Mm. Uh, what's the debt servicing on that bugger all? Sweet, okay, well, let's... So, and then before you know it, you've hoovered up all of your clients and then once you've got your critical mass where you know that, you know, that the monthly revenue from that critical mass will support, you know, your, your office, your, your, your OPEX, et cetera. Well, then you stop, you know, you, you stop borrowing. You, you can literally just turn the ads off and all of, all of, all of a sudden you're profitable overnight. Yeah. yeah. So. And that's where I'm, these overnight successes come from. But people don't. Exactly. Been, Ten years of hard graft. Yeah. Digging yeah. the well for a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's, it's really interesting because it's, you if you're in a business right now or thinking of starting a business right now and you don't have, like, you only are on a one-to-one, you're missing a massive amount of opportunity for yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to be thinking, right, how can I keep touching back with this client? How can I get this client customer, whoever they are, to keep coming back to me, 
keep buying, even if it's a small thing or is there a luxury item, anything like that? Yeah. Anything that keeps adds to a portfolio <clears throat> of products that they want to keep coming back and re reinforcing, basically. Yeah. And, and I think with the scaling issue, a lot of people are too scared to borrow. Like, this is crucial. I think the key, one of the key things to my, oh, that sounds so cheers, but the key things to my success, um, <laughs> I'm not there, I'm not, I haven't hit my goals yet, by the way. Um, I'm just, it's an ongoing process. But the thing that I guess leapfrogged me from typical small business owner to slightly better than a small business owner is borrowing. Like, mm -hmm. all I've ever done, and it sounds so simple, all I've ever done was done those simple client attraction journeys, done the maths, gone, okay, that looks good with a really shit conversion rate. Let's have a little test. And a little test would be like a two grand ad spend, you know, spending 50 quid a day, just seeing them, looking at all the metrics, getting the numbers in and going, ah, oh, sweet, on this two grand ad spend, the numbers are actually, you know, instead of a 1% conversion rate, it's like a 5% conversion rate, sweet. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's just crank this up a little bit and now I'm gonna put five grand in and then 10 grand. And then typically for a long time, it's always been like, shit, I've, you know, haven't been able to spend more than five or 10 grand in an ad campaign. This is back mm -hmm. in the early days. So I'll go, well, but now you have a story and the story is so crucial here. So, um, for, especially when you go to raise money. So you can then go, hey, I had an idea. wasn't sure if it worked. This product was amazing. Um, so I took my own money. I put my money where my mouth is and I gave it a go. I risked two grand and guess what? Um, phase one worked, that two grand ad campaign spat out, you know, four grand or whatever. So I thought, okay, well, this seems to be good. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to break under scale or growth. So I put five grand in. So phase two, five grand, and it came back still profitable. Sweet. Uh, at this point, I then begged, borrowed and stealed from my friends and family and managed to get a 10 grand loan from a from a dad or whatever, paying 15% APR or, you know, whatever. So phase three is I'm going to put 10 grand into this campaign, see if it works. And guess what? It did. In fact, the conversion rates are better I've, because I'm spending a bit more. I've got economies, economies of scale, you know, bulk buying, you know, blah, blah, blah. So once you've done, you know, three iterations of this campaign, you, you, you're pretty confident on your stats and, you know, uh, if it's going to break under scale. Because some, some campaigns break the moment you put too much money in it. Then you go and borrow money. Now, whether you do that in terms of equity, giving away, I, I would highly recommend that you don't straight away you really shouldn't be giving away equity unless you're until you're doing something like at least 20 grand a month profit because if you're giving away equity now you're going to be giving away half a leg mm -hmm. like you're going to be giving away like 40 percent 30 percent to someone mm -hmm. because you've got a business making jack shit um however when you're making like 20 grand a month profit to get the money that you need you'd only need to give away if you know 10 percent or something like mm -hmm. that so so you need to borrow, 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 I debt-based um, money. So go to a bank. Now, banks don't lend. Um, so you you'll then have to find a private investor or whatever. But even if you're spending something like 10% um, APR, or just, again, you just put in the cost of servicing into your funnel, your, your, you know, your metrics, and see, see if it works. Mm -hmm. That's all I've ever done. And, and the big leap of, leap of faith I had, uh, probably 10 years, around probably nine years ago, um, was uh, I had, you know, that you know that story of like phase one, phase two, phase three. And I was like, right, biggest risk I've ever taken in my life. You know, I was earning nothing, going out to get a 50 grand loan to just pump it in Facebook. Like Ellie thought I was a freaking lunatic. Um, my friends thought, oh, this is risky. What if you lose it all? Mm -hmm. And then, wow, that 50 grand turned into 150. I was like, sweet. Yeah. Um, 
paid back the debt. So I was sat there with, you know, like 100 grand free cash. I was like, check me out, Billy Big Balls. Yeah, yeah. And then I proceeded to lose 30 grand on an ad campaign. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's just uh, getting too cocky too quickly. Yeah. That was but, a bit painful. But what one of the other well, things... What I did is I drove 30 grand's worth of ad spend to a web page which didn't load. Oh, <laughs> no. I know. I didn't check the whole funnel. I was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And and I was driving traffic to an incorrect URL. A, a, a typo on the freaking URL cost oh. me 30 grand. <sighs> <laughs> I, my hands are going to clammy to think about that. <laughs> I was like... I wasn't doing that well at the time. I just had a lucky ad campaign and then I just, you know, 30 grand in the space of a week. Oh. Oh, <laughs> well, that's, but that's an important point as well in that like you mentioned on when you were doing your doodling just now about understanding online marketing, that you have to have some basic fundamental understanding mm -hmm. of not just, okay, what it is to build an AdWords campaign or a Facebook campaign, whatever it might be, but also how to put the right feedback loops in that to prevent losing yeah. a shed ton of cash because it can be just a, the slightest typo that's making the whole thing fall over you might have the most perfect funnel in the world you just you've got a typo yeah. somewhere right well and also time because i think a lot of people you know they, they give it i don't know a week of putting some money in the top and then it's not really converting for them so they pull it yeah yeah and if you've had like 20 people landing on your web page you're never going to get any conversion rates no yeah. like you need like with it's just basic statistics um at the end of the day it's like you can't really make any decisions until you've had a minimum absolute minimum of a hundred people doing something yeah. uh, i did and even then a hundred is still too too little so like for this new campaign i'm doing if i put a hundred leads in into this free thingy that still wouldn't have been enough yeah because like so this is why I, i'm opting for 500 leads because then you know you had just, just your data is more accurate the larger your data set is yeah. Um, so I was going to say, I forgot what I was going to say, ah, it'll come back to me, but yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I'm, uh, I'd love to hear a bit more that you talk about because, um, the, you always had this idea of having your own school because the education system's driven you nuts for years yeah. and especially now you have kids because you were talking about this very early on about the school systems just not giving people the right education around money and, and business yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the Wealth Action Plan is a step towards that journey, right? That's what you've created. Yeah. So for any of those that have never heard of you before or, or this is the first time seeing any of your stuff, can you give our audience some idea of the Wealth Action Plan and the premise behind it and what it does? Yeah, sure. So really... It... <clears throat> I've had the idea of the WAP for many years, but in 2018, I actually did something about it because 2018 was the worst year I've ever had in my life. What I thought was I wanted my kids to know everything I've learned up here, like everything I've gone through over the last 10 years. So what I did, I sat down in 2018 and I literally typed out everything in my head. I downloaded um, like all the key learning nuggets, everything I've learned in business, trading, life in general. And Eight months later, I'd wrote 450,000 words, um, which I think is as, like probably this, as big as eight books, nine books. Well, I remember like when that. you wrote your first book, the, um, oh, the Pop-Tart, Pop -tart, and you were like, uh, yeah. oh, I wrote 15,000 words. <laughs> and it was like... <laughs> yeah, I did that in a weekend. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, so all of a sudden I had this massive Google, I did it in Google Sheets. So every sort of section, basically I did it by like, yeah, I created a big, uh, in fact, I won't bore you in the process, but I wrote 450,000 words and then I chopped them all up into 10 minute um, segments or five to 10 minute segments. And then I animated every little lesson. <clears throat> so there's endless, there's hundreds of lessons there. Everything from business, investing, finance, mostly about business. Um, psychology as in trading and business psychology because it's a big thing um the sorry about the cockerel by the way can you shut the door <laughs> the what sorry the, the cockerel i didn't hear can that can you hear the cockerel oh you got a cockerel oh, yeah he's literally standing outside our door yelling right now so kate's just going to shut the door there we go yeah so your uh, wealth action plan so for anybody listening to this or watching this and they might be thinking oh it, it's probably a bit intense or it's a bit it's not the case, right? It's literally, you can take someone who knows nothing about business, knows nothing about money and all this kind of stuff and just wants to yeah. learn. And it gives them step-by-step -step daily stuff, right? Right from Yeah, well, to... it's not, so we, don't, we stop the daily stuff. But basically, we're, we're trying to make it like a Netflix for business and life. So okay. there's endless amounts of videos in all sorts of different, I guess, box sets. Um, so, <clears throat> and yeah, they're all like really, it, all done in simple five-year-old English. So I've actually put into my will that my kids won't receive a single penny unless until they've consumed all of the WAP, all of the real estate trader material and a few other hurdles. Um, but <laughs> so I, I just need them to not make the same because I've made some big mistakes in, in the past, massive mistakes to the point where I've seen people make the same mistakes in the past and they've ended up killing themselves. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, <clears throat> I, yeah, so, so the WAP is basically sh shitloads of videos and, and, and more than that. So, and it's everything that, you know, your parents, schools, government haven't taught you, but really should have. So, um, yeah, and that's been a really important yeah. thing that we've talked about for years, right? The, your, the, the way, talking about the UK, because obviously <coughs> we all grew up in the UK, the, the way the education system is, is effectively designed to make you a, hopefully a good employee and to burden you with debt, right? They're the two core yeah. aspects, right? So you're in this, you're effectively a, on the chicken factory, whatever it is, that's your yeah. life, for your, for your life. Yeah. And that was a realisation you had from reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I can't believe this is the first time we're talking about Rich Dad, Poor Dad on the podcast, but because mm. that changed the way we looked at life and yeah. money and everything else. And that's what made yeah. you make those changes, right? So, and ever since you've had this kind of passion of, right, there needs to be a better way to educate people about money, about yeah. life. Do you still do your nailing life it's, course as it, well? Um, no. no, I mean it's all part of the WAP, like okay. all, everything in there. So yeah. that's kind of migrated. But, um, like yeah, so originally the the schooling system was a sausage factory just to get people in factories, and it hasn't really changed over the last two hundred years. But even but now it's also it's progressive because you know school is such a you know it's just. People don't even question it these days. I like, oh, yeah, do well at school to get good grades, get a good degree, to then end up in a good job, yada, yada, yada. It's just modern way of life. But it's also the, the, the scam, and I do call it, and I do believe it is a scam, it's actually progressed somewhat even further in, in forms of university because university is a huge business. Mm -hmm. It's a racket, it's mainly in the US, but still over you know, in the UK, it's a bit of a scam. I mean, if just look at the chart of um, take-home income compared to, tuition fees your incomes it's sort of is pretty much flat basically 
whereas tuition fees is, is through the roof mm -hmm. like as in um workbooks like it, it's just it's just nuts so and here's the modern day scam go to uni university for three years to get some bullshit degree that you'll never ever use in a job and you'll be 50 grand in debt Woo. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the scam. Yeah. And people don't even bat an eyelid. They don't question this going, wait a minute. OK, so I'm going to spend three years of my life uh, and 50 grand of debt, at least sometimes, let's say between probably 35 to 60 grand of debt. OK, mm -hmm. depending how fast or, you know, and what you do. I mean, if you're going through like medicine, <laughs> that's what best part of eight years of training, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, but so let's just say 50 grand. So, OK, three years of my life and 50 grand in debt to maybe get a job in this field that I'm going to be studying. Okay, well, what's the average, what was my average salary when I get that? Well, guess what, I've done the maths, or I've, done, I've looked at the stats. Um, most, so off the top of my head, of the top 20 degrees, um, three of those professions are above 30 grand a year within. So if you look at someone, a postgraduate, five years later, yeah. what is their, their salary five mm -hmm. years later? So obviously, if it's medicine, accounting, law, engineering, so um, so and data science, so it's five. Sorry, you you that five years later, you will end up on a salary more than thirty grand a year. Every other profession is sub thirty k, which wow. is ridiculous. Yeah, five years later, so you've and and you won't end up spending or paying back your uni debt twenty for at least twenty years. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's just yeah because it's it's. If anyone's listening to those numbers and thinking, well, that's fine, and you pay 30 grand, 35 grand, you get a 30 grand a year job, uh, that, that's great. That's not 30 grand a year in your pocket, like you just to blow. Yeah, yeah that's, you've got to live, <laughs> you've got to pay taxes, you've got to do all of those things. So what it actually yeah. translates to in terms of pounds and pence after is very tiny, right? It's a small amount yeah. of money. And what could you I, I think it's something, it's something crazy, like more than 95% of the UK have less than £500 a month surplus, yeah. which makes sense, really. Um, so as in, like, let's say you take home two grand and your outgoings are 1,500 quid, your monthly surplus is 500 quid there. Most of the population don't have a, a 500 quid surplus per month. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, most... one of the things that um, you talked to us about years ago was about the, how important runways are financial mm. runways are mm -hmm. and in terms of your own personal goals should be the first three months then the six then six then 12 and so on and so on it's just like keep adding to your financial runway and i saw a stat actually the other day that combined was the combined like the average savings across the whole of um the uk was something like six grand the average person's but when you think there's extremes in that right there's yeah. people there with hundreds of thousands of savings and people with nothing yeah. and, and six grand yeah. is the number they came up with and how many people could live how long would six grand last the average person average family of four couple of months if that yeah yeah yeah. yeah it's nuts and and even then they'd be you know prioritizing that spend on essentials wouldn't they yeah yeah still wouldn't last long well and the other aspect about the business side which we've talked about before in other episodes is that they're transferable skills you educate yourself around um, the fundamentals of what you were talking about, about cost per acquisition, online marketing, cost per lead, yeah. all of these fundamentals, you can apply to multiple assets. Whereas a career in a given job, that it's very specific, right? Unless you can find another yeah. role mm. just like that one, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're an employer, I'm an employer. Like you probably agree that 
I, I there is degree inflation. Every man and his dog has a degree. Yeah. And I in like I've got sixty odd staff now, and like we're always interviewing and hiring. And like I don't give a shit about your degree. I have a rule when I interview interview someone, I I purposely don't read their CV. I want to get a clear gauge of who you are as a person. Yeah. And all I'm looking for is are you ambitious. Are you hardworking and do you have good work ethic? Yeah. Like skills and knowledge you can teach. So I don't really care if you can do it or not. Yeah. But one of the best members of staff I had uh, um, ages ago was like, um, he was a groundskeeper and I had him for like this office like type job. And like there were way more better qualified people than he was, yeah. but he blew everyone out of the water with his, you know, his attitude and he was super, super keen. And I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I take work ethic over any fancy master's degree or whatever. That's what we all but, um, look for as well. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, going back to what you said, the, I think the key skill here, when you look at wealth generation as a whole, is not like business, it's just one tiny arrow in your quiver in your whole wealth generation journey. That is it. Um, and so whenever I see people going, property is the only way forward or trading is the way forward or business is the only way forward, mm, it's not quite. Like what that person is, they're so myopic in their in their outlook. Yeah, we really need to expand it a bit further. We are all in the wealth wealth accumulation journey or wealth generation journey, mm -hmm. um, and how you proceed through that wealth generation journey, uh, as in the cadence of it, is, is obviously down to the tools and things that you deploy. Mm -hmm. Now, business is just one little silo. Um, yeah. Same with property, same with whatever, whatever. So ultimately, when you look at you know, all of the arrows in that quiver of what could make you wealthy. Really, the skill is capital arbitrage. That is it. So the skill that I really focus on is, can I arbitrage capital faster and better than my peers? Or, or in fact, I'm not even racing against anyone. I'm racing against myself. But all I'm focused on is, am I, am I deploying capital better this year than I was last year? Right. Now, just to break this down a little bit further or easier, um, the simple way of looking at capital arbitrage is, let's say you have an arrow in your quiver, don't care what it is, that makes you a guaranteed 20% a year, okay? You just know, even in a shit year, it's gonna make you 20% ROI. Or mm -hmm. well, why the hell wouldn't you go and borrow money at 10% yeah. or 5%, hell, even 15%? Like, I've got all, like, I have debt at the moment, but like business debt, et cetera, and some of the debt I've borrowed at 15%. Yeah. And I remember making those deals with people going, wait a minute, are you sure you want to sign this contract, Simon? This is 15% APR. I'm like, yeah. yeah. I was like, are you sure? Have you consulted legal advice about this? I was like, yes. Take out the loan, paying 15% APR. We're both happy. I'm happy that I've got you know huge amounts of money to play with at 15% APR. Yeah. And the person is super happy because they're deploying their own capital at 15%. But I know I've got arrows in my quiver that make way more than 15%. Mm -hmm. It's just simple maths. Like I'm, in fact, when I say simple maths, I'm the worst at maths. Like I, I cannot go any, I can't do anything without a calculator. Um, so, but it's simple to me. Like if I have something that makes 20%, I will happily borrow all the way up to maybe 15% APR because I know I'm making that 5% slither. Now, if you're borrowing 10 grand, 5% of 10 grand is nothing. Yeah. But if, what if you're borrowing a million quid? and you're making 5% arbitrage, yeah. all of a sudden, that sounds quite interesting. Because mm -hmm. not only are you in that, in that direct year, you're making that 5% arbitrage, you're using that million quid to grow your company or companies. Yeah. 
So what actually is happening is that, yeah, you're making that 5% a year in arbitrage, which is basically free money, but you're using that capital to grow the equity, equity of all the other businesses. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to say I'm, you know, every single business I run is you know, super duper fantastic, but it's not. Like, I have nine businesses in the group, and I would say probably four of those, those businesses right now are lying face down in the water um, due to, cheers, Boris. Um, <laughs> but you know, the other five doing it, or no, I would say two of them are doing all right, wasn't really affected, and the others are doing actually really well. So that's the other thing. Um, when I said, you know, back in the day, set up 10 businesses, etc. I sort of continued that theme. I thought, well, now I've got a business that's doing well. Let's try and do another one for, you know, insulation. Yeah. So this is like, I don't have all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. I mean, put it this way, in the space of a 15 minute Boris announcement back in March, one of the businesses lost 150 grand a month in revenue. <laughs> like that, gone. Yeah. Now, if that was my only business, I'd be jumping off a bridge. Well, not, yeah. not me. Like, I, like, I like life too much. I'd never <laughs> kill myself. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, yeah, it's just, whereas a lot of people, they are yeah. doing that. You know, there, there's an untold behemoth tail risk to all these lockdowns. It's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of depression, suicide, people not being able to get their doctor's appointments or elective surgeries or whatever. But let's not go down that road. road. (laughs) Yeah, but I think the um, the, one of the advantages as well when you have multiple assets. So one of the disadvantages is is the how you manage your time and effectiveness in that, right? Because obviously taking action is fundamental to actually moving the business forward. So that's one risk. But one opportunity is this, the the sharing of resources, right? The sharing of opportunities, the sharing of like, suddenly you don't need to have like lots of siloed resources. They can, when one wins, another one can win off the back of it because it's part of, as you call it, a group. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also um, you can recycle staff to, oh, no, that's probably not the best way. <laughs> cross-utilize staff. Sorry. Yeah. So I have a core like I have a core A team they're my superstars but that core in fact they're literally in so in my house we have an annex and my core team are in that annex that core team actually services three different businesses so all of a sudden your staff costs per business go way down yes um because what you'll find is that let's say you get someone on 40 hours a week doing a job unless that job is so full like what you'll find is most staff won't be spending 40 hours a week doing their job they'll be spending 40 hours a week looking busy mm-hmm. yeah. well no not, not looking busy but a percentage of that 40 hours will be doing shit that doesn't matter yeah. like I once found someone that oh I have so many staff stories that piss me off and, and also good ones as well but like I, I have to be careful here <laughs> but basically this girl was shredding paper like she had an endless amount of way more important things to be doing right. but she'd found some old filing cabinet in some storage room like that i wasn't even aware that we had and she goes oh yeah I'm, oh, i found this filing cabinet it had some old data which we you know we don't need anymore so i thought i'd create some space i was like and she spent like about two hours shredding paper i was like what the <laughs> I had to call my chimp and leave the room. So, so and then the next day there was a new SOP in the office. That's how I deal with things, SOPs. Which stands for? Uh, standard operating procedure. So, yeah. 
And by the way, for, for if you if you're getting, so I'm, I'm seeing this with Ellie because with Ellie's new business that um it's like in the in the brand new like it's a pea, you know it's just shot a pea shot a pea, man my English is shit. Um, Ellie's your for sprouting. anyone listening, Ellie's your wife. Just so yes, you, yeah, yes. And what's she's my lover. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but, um, but she's now hiring staff. So during this whole you know lockdown, we've actually recruited two full time members of staff, which is cool. Um, but she's going through all of the, you know, the beginning phases of like employment and like, and I, I'm not trying to like micromanage. I'm just letting her get on with it. But I can see all these errors happening a mile away, and yeah. then a week later, error. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> um, so, What's but one of the first SOPs you should install if you're getting a small team to begin with is what I've put in my office. Like, so when you have a problem, so basically you as the director are the bottom of the shit filter, okay? And this is the shit filter. <laughs> All shit enters the filter, right? I, your business. Now, you, if you're a one-man band, all shit is going down your throat. So you need to have <laughs> shit filters in. So let's say you have a bunch of staff. Well, let's say you have a receptionist or like a customer support person. Well, that person can bat away some of the shit, okay? But eventually some shit is too big to bat away that it will go through him or her sorry this is not a good analogy <laughs> yeah. um and then it will get down to your ops manager and the ops manager will have an even bigger racket you can start bashing away but eventually some shit is too big for her or his tennis racket and then it'll get down to you and you are the you know you're the ultimate declogger so to speak um now one little SOP that can eradicate so much of your bollocks or mental bollocks is that um one, have you Googled it? Two, have you picked up the phone and called this person or called the supplier or called whatever? Like treat people as human beings. So if there's a problem, the problem is normally created by a human being, right? Yeah. Or it could be an unhappy customer, right? Yeah. Or pick up the freaking phone and, eat, and, and chat with them and say, look, we've really screwed up. I don't know how we screwed up, but like, what can we do to fix it? Yeah. Um, three, what would Elon do? Four, <laughs> let me know that, that's what we have in my office have you googled it that's 90 percent of all bullshit out of the way gone um have you picked up the phone and called the client the supplier the the whoever's causing the trouble no uh, or have you emailed them or if you have emailed them like how many like have they got back to you yet if they haven't pick up the phone um what would elon do um that, that's a whole nother topic of i've trained them you know yeah, they know what Elon would do. Um, <laughs> and then if all those three don't work, then WhatsApp me. Yeah. But yeah. I would have fully expected you to go through that shit filter process before you've contacted me. Yeah, so you were very good. Uh, when we, we were talking about this on a previous episode about, about managing time and everything else, and you came up in that conversation because we saw a sea change in your behaviour, like a massive change in your behaviour years ago <laughs> in you? that... Yeah, in that, and I remember you doing it. I, th I remember you talking about it with us. And that you, it was something along the lines of um, your, how you were, you were constantly available to everybody all the time. And then you suddenly made this decision. Uh, like, I'm not being that person. I'm just, I'm not running around answering the phone to every time, every time someone yeah, rings. Stop saying, answering yes stop saying yes and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And you, it was like, it was like day and night. It's like suddenly Siam's like, oh yeah. And then suddenly, no, 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 I don't want to interrupt you. You might be really busy. And it, it, <laughs> yeah. it was that, it, you could see that change and you put that out there, but it explains why you're able to manage 
things like you are managing, like you have been able to manage. You've been very specific about your use of time. Yeah. So first rule: never answer your mobile phone. Like you're never, you're never. <laughs> like we're like I consider you two like my best. Like I'm, I've got probably a hand which I could consider best mates. Although I haven't seen you guys for years, yeah. I could I genuinely consider you my best mates. Yeah. Um, like there's you, Lucinda, Rich Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if your listeners ever heard of these people, um, etc. And like, yeah, like, but if you call me, I probably most likely won't answer the phone. Not because I'm ignoring you or trying not to. One, I don't actually have my phone on. Like, actually, when someone calls me, it's on silent. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know if you're calling me. Yeah. And that's on purpose because I hate vampires, like time vampires or yeah. attention distractions. So, yeah. I, so it's on the floor, on charge, on silent, and I will look at it on my own time. So you're basically, I'm trying to re- reclaw my my time. Um, and, and you can, there's a million and one different life hacks you can do for time. And I, for a good part of the year, I became just obsessed with time mm-hmm. uh, and reclaiming it. And, and the reason that happened was because I went on a bit of a spending spree in 2016 and I got into mergers and acquisitions. I was like, oh, new toy. I can buy businesses now. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you went through the same journey yeah. uh, or we went through the same journey. And it is, it is a massive. Uh, but the thing is, there was, what was it, 2016, 2017? Yeah, yeah, I think it was 2016. I bought seven businesses in one year, um, which was the most idiot move I've probably <laughs> ever done. I was an idiot with money, basically. And I was like, I got my, not only did I have money, but I had these new tools that I could buy companies with no money. Yeah. I was like, this is like amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I ended up, like, long story short, by 2018, I had 15 businesses in the group which was just obscene, 15 freaking businesses. Now, not all of them were 100% ownership. Most of them were 35% equity chunks. But whatever happens is even if you go into a business and let's say I bought, yeah, so even if you bought 35% of a business which had existing directors, existing management team in place and an existing team in place. And so the business is completely, fully autonomously running without you because, you know, the director's running it, et cetera you still have at least six points of contact in that business because you'll have the director that will, you know, will be on your WhatsApp. The, most likely the ops manager will probably be leaning on you as well. And maybe a few other key members of that team. So maybe let's call it four or five people. Or you then do four or five people, essential people that I have to talk with times 15 other businesses. Yeah. I was like, I have my WhatsApp like constantly bing, bing, bing. And messages like boomerangs, you reply to a message, whee, it comes straight back in your face yeah, yeah. um and then i thought okay let's just ignore as many as i can <laughs> <laughs> like what is really essential here but then you know hello um so and i really yeah so time is crazy so i started looking at i'm not a fan of warren buffett believe it or not for many reasons not for this this thingy uh, this uh <clears throat> session but one thing i did look to him was I mean, he's got thousands of businesses. Yeah. Like, how the hell does he manage time? So mm-hmm. I, I just, I started looking at venture capitalists quite a lot um, and angel investors. Like, you know, all these people that own, you know, dozens of business, how do they do it? And then, yeah, that, that gave me some insight. Um, I mean, I won't bore you with some of the, some of the things, but now I literally, um, <clears throat> I have as many things all automated as possible. I have, yeah, I still probably have 20 odd people that, I, I talk to, mm-hmm. but I, I schedule it. Yeah. So like there's a set weekly Zoom call, which I 
like and each zoom call will never last more than 10 minutes if it's a normal general catch-up yeah and it'll tend to be a group call as well so i like you know having a group call of you know people and that so that way people from different businesses can bounce on it's not my own mini mastermind i guess yeah um and also with problems um not shit, so not shit filters but like dilemmas um i expect the team to come to me with hey Simon, we had this major problem um and we've come up with a solution and so what i want to see is like hey we had this problem and this is the solution we did and it seems to be working and that's like sweet or at, at the at the worst it's like hey we had this problem but here are three solutions that we can do yeah. which one should we take see that's easy i don't want to waste time or my, my brain glucose in thinking of someone else's of a solution for someone else's problem if that makes yeah. sense because yeah. otherwise i'll be making coming up with problem solving for 50 odd different people yeah so if you present me with three courses of action i can then literally in 20 seconds go okay do that one go. yeah and, and that's we'll such a data. smart way to to educate people about how to bring problems to you right it's it's okay so yeah don't just bring me the problem bring the potential solutions that you've identified and i'll help choose the one because that yeah. we're all then, guilty of that with staff and and we have it with staff and franchisees right we yeah. have the same issue they'll 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 literally identify a problem and then they will stop thinking about the problem because it's mm -hmm. like problem kate and lee and then and that's no. that's the problem, right? yeah yeah absolutely yeah you got to work the problem yeah 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 no it's so true and and then when i have some solutions i just get my trader brain out and go right what's the risk to reward seesaw like the, like every, the risk reward is a seesaw risk yeah. reward etc and i simply just balance I, I just okay you've got three solutions i just look at the risk reward of each of the each and i okay, pick the best one yeah. and then i, I then, then they know to come back to me in like a week and because I, I love data so yeah. they're like, oh, that problem, that solution we did, this is the data that resulted from it. Yeah, I, and that empowers they're happy, people, they're not right? happy. Well, that, empower, that empowers your staff and your team and everybody else. If, you, if you're saying, look, I trust you to create solutions, I'm just going to help you choose the right one. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. way more empowering than, okay, you've got a problem, you have to bring it, you have to bring it, and I'll solve it. Yeah. 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 And, and the key thing I've learned over the years is never, ever, ever, ever bollock your staff. Right. Ever. I know this is a bit contrary because I, I, I do have successful business owners who do lambast their staff, etc. But I would say that they probably aren't happy staff mm -hmm. and they're probably not empowered staff. Mm -hmm. So I can't even remember the last time I told an employee off. Right. Like, like, because what happens is... Um, <laughs> yeah, they're frozen. I was doing night flying, right? Mm -hmm. <coughs> and what happens is, so when you're when you're when you're doing night flying at dusk, you go over to the aircraft. Well, it doesn't matter with helicopters or airplanes, and you do a walk around. Okay, so you check the aircraft to make sure it's ready. So at nightfall, you know, you, you your walk around is is less. Okay, because you've already done the check. But before you do your dusk walk around, you sign it. You sign the aircraft out. So it's legally your responsibility. You're the captain of that aircraft. And you, by all definitions, own that aircraft. And no one is allowed to touch your aircraft without your permission. So you, you sign it out for the engineers. You go and do your walk around, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. And this one night, I remember, you know, <laughs> doing the walk around, came in, cup of coffee, tea, waited. I think it was a nine o'clock sortie, so 2100 sortie, where it was dark, pitch black. And there's 
six of us in this this formation sortie and we all went out and I did my abbreviated walk around because you know it's my aircraft no one should have touched it but what happened what none of us knew was that there was I think a new engineer on the on the line which wasn't fully up to date with you know the procedures and what happened was that at some point between the dusk walk around and and the and nine o'clock he saw that it was a bit windy and went and put all some of the, the, the tail rotor locks on all, all the helicopters <clears throat> and didn't tell anyone. And so when I went out there, I'd already removed the tail rotor lock. Now, this is all my fault, okay? So yes, that was one error in that Swiss cheese of errors. But um, even though he had gone and put the tail rotor lock on all of the helicopters, on my walk around, I still should have, should have seen it. But you're walking around in pitch black with this little pen torch looking for certain things. And I don't know how I missed it, but I mean, the tail roadblock has this massive, like like a two foot red tail banner, like a removed before flight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how I didn't see it, but I think I was rushing. Uh, and what happened is I tried to start the helicopter with a freaking tail rotor. Lock. So I destroyed the whole tail no. and the gearbox. 250 no. grand's worth of damage. <laughs> I was mortified. So I started setting it up, uh, starting up, and masses of vibrations, and it was like, <laughs> like a crazy vibration. Ah! Like I was literally doing this. I, I was strapped in, but I was the whole helicopter was like, I thought like I don't know what. I felt like an <laughs> elephant had just like tried to pick a fight with me, um, and I shut down and I realised, yeah, this freaking like, the whole tail boom was wow, two hundred and fifty grand's worth of damage. And I was like, oh, my Air Force career's over. Oh, I'm so screwed. I'm so shut down. I did everything I could. Rotor blades all over the place. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was the most coy, shy, like embarrassed person on the planet. And to my disbelief, someone else did exactly the same thing. Wow. I was like, thank fuck someone <laughs> else is as stupid as me. <laughs> um, yeah, so out of the, so two out of the six, um, yeah. So this other guy missed the <clears throat> road, and he started up with the road lock on as well. But um, oh, we got absolutely reamed. Yeah, big time. So so going back to the point here. Uh, sorry, I'm talking about staff, aren't I? Um, what was the point? Yeah, yeah don't bollock them. You never take yeah. them off. Oh yeah. So here's the thing. I will never ever fly with a tail rotor lock in place ever again. Yeah. Like it's fair to say, like if I ever get in a helicopter again, I will be double anal about the tail road to block. <clears throat> so it's the same with your staff. If they make a mistake and they know they've made a mistake, you've actually now got a far better member of your team because yeah. you know that they're never going to make that mistake again. Yeah. So what I love, and I, haven't, I forgot what the problem was because I don't actually listen to problems anymore. Um, <clears throat> I just expect, uh, expect them to deal with it. Someone said, hey, Simon, um, just so you know, I did this, I royally effed up. Um, I didn't think that would happen, but what I've done to say sorry to the client, because you know, they really piss off the client, is I've done this, this, and this. I'm so sorry, mate. I was like, mate, that's fine. Shit happens. And then I just went on to the next thing. So I think he was relieved that, you know, I was like a bit nonchalant about it, but I now know that he will never make that mistake again. Yeah. yeah. And so if you can, like with, so the good thing with aviation is that everyone admits to their problems, like their, their, their hiccups. There's no what you'll find in the avi aviation industry is that no problems are, are 
buried under the carpet, mm -hmm. which is really good. So everyone shares everything. And so it's a very open community and it all goes in an open report and go, hey, this pilot did this. Don't be an idiot like that mm -hmm. pilot, you know. Uh, and the same in, in business, it should be like that. Mm -hmm. So my team know that they can mess up and not get fired or whatever. And I'll just be like, yeah, whatever. However, if you make that mistake twice, then I'll be having words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So <clears throat> at, at the minimum, we'll do some retraining if it's a newer person. But we're like with that guy who made the mistake, he's experienced. He, he just knew it was a cognitive hiccup. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, sorry, I, that was a really long story. <laughs> sorry, no, it's important. Sorry. It's important <laughs> because I don't think, I think we're all kind of grown up in business thinking that you are <clears throat> supposed to come down hard on everybody and that's success and all this kind of stuff and like you've got to be that like perfection all the time and it's and it's well, and also that beings. mistakes happen because i think there's a lot of small business owners especially i'm definitely one of them we're control freaks and we yeah. want to control everything and and it's it's really yeah. hard to kind of let go and let people make their own mistakes and yeah and not micromanage all the time, but you're not going to grow without it. But it's definitely something I struggle with. Yeah. But you um you mentioned that obviously 2018 was a pants year for you, um, and that you've known other people that have had awful years. Um, obviously 2020 has been a pretty awful year for a lot of people. So what would yeah. your advice be for anyone out there that has lost pretty much everything, um, or they've had to completely pivot <coughs> and they're starting again? So where, where would they start for their kind of wealth plan, et cetera, in your cool. expertise? So <laughs> this is going to be a weird answer. Okay. Um, uh, this is probably where I'm going to lose most of your listeners here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's how I think. Um, I love, so I love tech, right? And I, I spend a lot of my free time um, researching tech. In fact, for a start, just research everything that Ray Kurzweil has said or is doing or has said, but you know, it's just, so he's the head, um, <clears throat> head of engineering at Google. Um, he's the best, most prolific inventor on the planet at the moment. He invented like, pretty much everything these days. Anyway, so I'm of the firm belief that I'm going to live multiple hundreds of years. Now, okay. before you think I'm some weird loony <laughs> idiot, um, let me clarify that. <clears throat> With the amount of Snickers bars you eat, are you sure? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, biologically speaking, I'm going to live, you know, we're all going to live probably 100 odd years, biologically speaking. But then you have to look at the, um, what is the probability that we hit the singularity? So in terms of tech, so in, in terms of computing, there's this thing called the singularity where um, computers get so good that we reach AGI. Uh, mm. artificial general intelligence where an AI is better than a human at every single thing mm -hmm. um, like everything so it's basically a super, like a, a new super intelligence uh, some people call it ASI artificial super intelligence but AGI is a, a more apt uh, <clears throat> now the reason it's called the singularity so just like in a black hole you have you know the singularity the point where like you just don't know what happens once you go past that point it's the same with an AGI now Elon is absolutely petrified of AGI <clears throat> and when you look at all of the world leaders I guess in AI development etc so Elon is one of them um, Google is making great strides in that in a very sinister way in my opinion um, that you have to ask yourself what is the probability that we'll have that in our lifetime and all everything converges to around 2050 <clears throat> which is nuts so literally in 30 years time we will have 
AGI, which is will be as big as like aliens landing on the planet. Mm -hmm. That's how crazy it will be. But when you scale things back a tiny bit more, um, <clears throat> you then have to look at the point where, okay, at what point will the human brain and your consciousness effectively be mapped? Um, now, this, this is a big old topic, and, and I could equally argue for both sides that it will or what it won't. But um, when you dig deep enough, <clears throat> you'll find that it's highly likely that we will have our consciousness mapped to a degree. I'm not talking about soul. I'm just talking about your consciousness mm -hmm. or, or your mind, basically, or some sort of replica of your, your mind. That will be mapped most likely by sort of 2040, um, maybe sooner, but let's just say 2040. So what this means is that when you get to that point where you can effectively upload your mind to the cloud, you become digitally immortal. Mm -hmm. You're then no longer confined to your organic um, housing, so to speak, or your body, sorry. Um, <clears throat> which then means you are, well, once that happens, you could effectively back up yourself. You could clone your, you could control C, control V, I don't know. Um, insurance will change forever because you die in a car crash, great, you're just going to download your consciousness into a robot or something else, or you'll just live on the cloud. So, <clears throat> so this is, <clears throat> I've got a frog in my throat now. <laughs> um, so this is where I think I sort of lose a lot of people. <laughs> because I think organically I'll be around for at least 100 years. CRISPR, I would highly recommend looking into CRISPR. It's genetic editing. That's going, I mean, they've made bioluminescent dogs. Like, the, 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 you can do all sorts of stuff with CRISPR. That's coming on leaps and bounds. It's, it's, it's in, incredible how fast that, that tech is moving. And people don't understand the, the law of exponential growth um, or the law of um, increasing returns. So... <clears throat> so going back to your question in terms of, you know, just had a setback. My grand thing is that I'm going to live a couple hundred years. So, so what if you lose your business and your life work in 2020? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's shit. Yes. I, I understand it's shit. You're, you're probably jobless. You're <clears throat> hopefully not homeless, but it's one hick, one a year's hiccup in, a, in probably ho hopefully an ocean of years of your lifetime, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And if anything, the hiccup that you experience, <clears throat> I need water. Uh, the hiccup you're experiencing this year should hopefully mean that you will never experience or land in the same hardship in the future. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, let's say, you know, I mean, hell, I've got businesses that have been really royally screwed by by the lockdown, etc. But ultimately, it's my fault. Everything is your fault in the business, okay? So it's my fault that my business was so susceptible that Boris could affect it, or COVID, or whatever could affect it. That's my fault. It's not, it's not, it's not oh, woe is me, 2020 has just been shit. No, take ownership of it. When the moment you, you start attributing blame to anything but you, you're not learning. Yeah. So for now, like, <clears throat> I have learned my lesson with the, with the businesses that have failed. So I'm thinking, right, from now on, I will never let any third, uh, counterparty risk expose me. I'll never let any, you know, I, I'll, I'm now putting measures in place so that this shit never happens again, okay? So you need to sit there and go, right, 2020 has been a year of learning. Time to reset, okay? So this way you're, you're you know, if, if you're really hard up for money, well, get a job. Like, and then people say, oh, Simon, there are no jobs. Well, that is blatant bullshit, there's so many jobs. The thing that that's happening is that people are being too picky about their jobs. Mm -hmm. Hell, go and pick, 
strawberries, go and work on a farm. There are endless amount of jobs in the manual labor department. Mm-hmm. Hell, I've gone through, I mean, I'm still trying to find a gardener. I'm trying, like, <laughs> it's like, it's ridiculous. Um, but, like, we're trying to spend 800 pounds a month on a gardener just through the weeding, okay? Not, not cut the grass, because my kids like sitting on the ride on lawnmower mm-hmm. with me to cut the grass. We just want someone to do weeding, 800 quid a month. That is it. Just be a general handyman. Um, work, you know, we, we cannot find anyone for love nor money. I mean, that works out to about 10 pounds an hour, but people just aren't prepared to put in the hard graph. Now, the way I look at it, if I was on rock bottom, that would be the best freaking job on the planet because, yeah. not yes, it's only 800 quid a month take home, but it's not full time. It's, I think, I can't remember it. I think it's like three days a week, eight hours a day, something like that. I can't remember. Um, so one, I'll have time to get a second job, like pulling pints, or oh, not in a pub, because pubs probably won't ever <laughs> open again. <laughs> um, but, you know, work in a supermarket. Okay, supermarkets are not going to close. So I'll try and become a shelf stacker in the supermarket. I will do whatever odd job I can find. But that gardening job, I would literally put my headphones yeah. in and just audible. Yeah. Jeez, there's so many books you can read whilst weeding. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just one example. So, so... If cash flow is your nearest crocodile, just do any job and not just one, do two or three yeah. whilst you get on your feet and try and think of a new business. Okay. Uh, I put it this way. I went from like flying planes in the military to um, having a 16 grand a year job and pulling pints in a pub. Mm-hmm. Like my ego was hurt. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I had, you know, like I had Vado and way more testosterone back then. But, you know, there was like, you know, me 25 years old pulling pints in the pub, pub and I've gone from up here to down here in my own head. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'd happily do that again if I lost everything. But so, again, going back to your question, I'm going all over the place. I'm so sorry. Um, reset, replan. Your next business needs to try and, try and do a little bit of um, learning in lots of different in- industries. So for me, the way I, I, I learn about everything. So I have this massive very fuzzy peripheral vision of everything right we could talk about a subject and I probably would have done some studying on it um, <clears throat> but I then have this very clear focus like I of expertise so I know I'm really good at some some very small amount of things but I have this vast sort of peripheral knowledge because <clears throat> the way I look at things is um, if we had a scale so wait this is my left hand where, where does it look like on your camera yeah 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 okay so <clears throat> Let's say there's a scale, zero to 100. Now, if you took the population and, and plotted people's ability or skill or knowledge level on anything, there would be normal Gaussian distribution, okay? Mm-hmm. So it would, it would look like this. And so what would happen is that, let's take running the 100 meters, okay? Normal Gaussian distribution. You have Usain Bolt over here, mm-hmm. literally the fastest human on the planet. And then you'd have someone over here, at, so he's at 100. <clears throat> and at zero, you would then have the billions of people that are that can't walk mm-hmm. or they weigh 30 stone and they literally can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. So you have a huge amount over here that can't even run 100 metres. But again, normal distribution, you'd have most people probably around, let's say, in terms of numbers, uh, between sort of the 20 to 40 level. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that I've been obsessed with for years is that because the masses are always hovering around the 20 to 40 level in this zero to 100 thing, it's extremely, it's so freaking easy to take yourself in anything from 20 to 40 over to 60 to 70. Mm-hmm. So easy. But it's then nigh on impossible to go from 60 to 70 to 
sort of 90, 100. So for example, <clears throat> um, and, and the way you can take from 20 to 40 to 60 to 70 is simply do 10 hours of studying. Mm -hmm. That is it. Wow. Do 10 hours of focused studying on any topic you will instantly remove yourself from the masses. So for example, one little thing I'm doing at the moment is, <laughs> uh, I cringe when I say, is cosmic archeology, span right. um, which is really weird. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure most people haven't got a clue of what cosmic archeology span is. Nope. <laughs> um, but what is 10 hours worth of study? So 10 hours worth of study on that is basically two audiobooks. Yeah. So you've read two books from, you know, a leading professor on, you know, um, or astronomical archaeology or cosmic archaeology. So two books, that's all it takes. Yeah. 10 hours worth of Googling or whatever. Um, I mean, for example, an example of cosmic archaeology is like, <clears throat> like we're going around the Milky Way, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when the dinosaurs were on Earth, we were on the complete other side of the Milky Way, oh, seeing wow. other things, which <laughs> that blew my head. Yeah, yeah. I um, never knew that. And things like... Yeah, you know, there's there's more time between I think it was the Stegosaurus and the T-Rex than humans and the T-Rex, um, stuff like yeah. that. So, <clears throat> but yeah, it, it doesn't take much to get yourself out of the masses. Yeah. So what I've done literally over the last at least seven years, I've, I've done focus activity on just making sure I'm good at everything. Mm -hmm. So I know it sounds really big headed, but I'm good at everything I do. I'm not amazing at anything I do. From, from going from 70 to 100, like you can't, like I couldn't become a professional sprinter. It's just, you, I just can't. Yeah. These people do that from the age of like eight yes. and they're doing it all their lives. So you just can't do But I'm happy being at 60 or 70. So business, <clears throat> Elon's at a hundred. Yeah. Um, someone that's never had a business and never will be, will be, I don't know, zero. Most people are probably at 10 or 20. I would say I'm only 60 at yeah. business. Yeah. That's it. Mm. Trading, probably 70. Everyone thinks they're 70 or 80 at driving cars, but, Actually, most people are 20 to 40 at driving mm -hmm. cars, yeah. you know. Um, so with business, again, I'm trying to go back to your original question. I'm going all over the place. <laughs> 2020, you just got to write down a big list of every skill set that you have uh, and be honest with yourself. You're going to be shit at most things. I'm shit at most things. I fully admit that. But then go, right, we're now moving into a world where we will have, <clears throat> you know, a, this crazy new lockdown type world where it'll be like no jab, no job, no jab, no travel, no, you know, so everything's going to be, you know, regimented under, you know, so there'll be a lot more tracking. Um, tourism's dead forever, um, <laughs> pretty much. Well, it'll never get back to previous highs. Even at previous highs, it was struggling. Um, so, so just don't set up a business in industries which are just always going to be screwed mm -hmm. or there's going to be counterparty risk. So, for example, you could say, oh, yeah, vaccine's coming out. Everyone's going to get the vaccine. Everyone's going to have some sort of COVID pass. It'll all be fine. Let's get back into the events or travel tourism industry. Well, <clears throat> well, okay, well, we've now had a precedent where countries all over the world can just lock down like that. Yeah. So I, it's highly likely there's going to be another lockdown at some point. <clears throat> I mean, you know, it'll be COVID-21, you know, some sort of mutation. And then all of a sudden, oh, lockdown because it's, you know, so... Just don't set up businesses in, in sectors with hugely high risk. Mm -hmm. So these days, it means you need to really set up a business which you could scale online. So that's one first you know, thing. Um, don't have a high street store. Definitely stay away from that. Commercial high street is dead. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens to all the cinemas in the UK. Most of them are going to go bust and never return. Yeah. Um, cinemas going towards Amazon and um, Amazon Prime and Netflix. So, <clears throat> I mean, I mean that in itself is opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, like everything is dominoes. So you just got to keep on putting one domino at a time. So you. So for me, for example, I've got a little thought experiment. I'm literally just mulling over, like, what's going to happen to all these massive complexes all over the UK, all the world? Because the cinema, like every Odeon cinema is huge. Yeah. Like they may have 10 screens and each screen is huge. It's a lot of space. Yeah. What's going to happen in that space? Well, probably residential property. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, real estate there for accommodation. But, you know, eventually you get to the point where there'll be too much accommodation, Um I don't, the answer is I don't know. I don't know what will happen to all the shopping centres that are going bust. But again, going back to your question, you had a <laughs> shit year 2020, what do you do? You well, reset. I, think, I think your point uh, where you talk <clears throat> about that this is effectively a moment in time, yeah. right? That it's not, it's not just your time. It's like that it's one year out of hopefully many. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the part of the problem for a lot of us is it was because of employment, because of arbitrary dates like Christmas and things like that. We're all kind of conditioned to think in the case of spring, summer, winter, that's the year. And we all just think about 12 month period and that's it. Whereas actually we should be thinking far longer and about our influence yeah. and our wealth and our lives <clears throat> and everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Like in fact, the other month, no, two weeks ago, I had a, a, a bunch of trades that um, went really bad. And I lost about 165 grand a couple of weeks ago in the space of, I don't know, a minute, um, <laughs> which, was, which is interesting. <laughs> now, again, most people would, you know, go re- become really depressed from that. But again, I'm always maintaining the bigger picture. Okay, I've had a tiny, tiny setback with some trades. By the way, that, pro- that, that money I lost was actually all profit. So that's one thing which is why I'm not really that bothered. But it's still a lot of money to lose in a minute. Um, but it's just, I'm looking at the bigger picture. Okay, it's one little hiccup. How long am I going to be trading for? Well, there Decades. is, and because you've also had the opposite, right? I, th- I remember the day that you got, was it 400 and something K day? What, what was it? Was it 480? Yeah, it was 426 grand 26. in about half an hour. <laughs> so, yeah, that yeah, was a good day. Black Monday, 2015, 24th of August, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but I mean, you have, even this you have month, a similar like, You have a similar response in both both lows and highs. You like you have the initial and then you're like, okay, move on. Well, it's Next. like I said at the beginning, it's unemotional. Yeah, it's, 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 as you say, as I said it earlier, it's just a to game be. to be. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be. That's the key thing. Like, if you ask Ellie, like, ask Ellie what we did to celebrate the, you know, the 400 odd grand win that day. Jack shit. We didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Yeah. We just had dinner, watched Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like literally watch Netflix, you know, yeah. not chilling Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was yeah, it was like, okay. And then next day went went to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Losses and wins have to be treated the same because then you don't uh, apply emotional weight to things. And when you apply emotional weight to stuff, you get bogged down, and then you mull over on stuff, um, and then you, then you're slower. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with speed. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to be slow. Yeah, that's a good point. You've got to reiterate, iterate as fast as you can. Sorry. That's right. So I'm, I'm talking a lot. I, I'm, no, it's yeah. great. That's, that's why you're on the podcast. That's good. <laughs> so one, one last question. Um, again, with the, these people in 2020 that have been affected, um, 
And a lot of what we've talked about throughout the whole podcast is that uh, a lot of the people kind of listening and people that you've described are in the kind of top 20% um, or they're aspiring to be. Um, but a lot of their friends and their family aren't and pull them back a lot. So it's, it's difficult to raise yourself above that. How, what's, Eject. I know, sorry. Just fire them. <laughs> yeah. Done. Move on. Not, Next question. Well, not just family and friends, but I know that you've had a, a, a lot of haters and you still do on your social media. How do you deal with all the negative messages around you and, and ignore uh, okay. all that? So for a start, I fired all of my negative family and close friends. Literally, I don't talk to them. Okay. They have they've been excommunicated from my life. So that, that was a quick solution. A lot of people think like, oh, it's my cousin or it's my nephew or whatever. Like, I have to... No, the only thing connecting you two is some distant bloodline mm-hmm. um, or a relatively near bloodline, but it's just blood. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like that person as a person? No. Do you get along as people? No. Well, why are you friends? Yeah. Just don't bother. Yeah. Like, so some people are family's family. Yeah, I get that. But um, obviously I can't fire my children or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But... <clears throat> That's different. But yeah, so extended family, those are not on the same wavelength or anchors, as I call them. I don't want anchors in my life, so I just eject. I want engines. So that's why I love you two. You guys are engines. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of online criticism, etc. to be completely honest, it really does hurt me. Mm-hmm. It does. I wear my heart on the sleeve. I, I lift my skin. I, I, I show everything. And... Um, and I get, yeah, I, every day, literally, I, I cannot log into Facebook without seeing some sort of drive or Twitter or YouTube comments on my videos or, um, like, literally, I can't go online full stop without seeing some sort of sign hater. And it does hurt. It really yeah. does. Like, I'm not a robot. But as much as I aspire to be clinical and cold and, you know, just purely data-driven, if I read a, a negative comment about me on Twitter, it does hurt. Yeah. it hurts for five seconds but this is how it, oh, no, it, hurt, it used to hurt a lot and I used to mull over it I'll be at dinner at night going hey, oh, this, look at this idiot I'm going to get my you know my heckles up and and guess what I've just wasted shitloads of brain glucose on this troll which means nothing to me yeah. so now I've, it's taken a long time it still it really does hurt mm-hmm. and I probably will mull it over for a maximum of 10 minutes if it's really bad but these days it's like 30 seconds like Okay, it's more of a reflection of that person than me. Yeah. Um, and also, this is not an original thought. I read it in a book. Oh, I don't know what book it was. It's probably Darren Hardy, uh, a Darren Hardy book. But he said that um, <clears throat> this guy looked at the statistics of funerals. And I, I, I forgot all the numbers off the head, but I'm just going to bastardize this. But at your funeral, you're going to have on average something like 15 people on average. Mm-hmm. And on average, if it's raining on that funeral day, um, some people won't even come. A percentage of people that were coming to a funeral, if it's raining, they won't even come. And there's an even smaller percentage of the people that do actually make it to a funeral, a very small percentage will actually cry at your funeral. So you spend your whole life, 70, 100 years or whatever of your life living, doing whatever you do. And a tiny percent, like probably three or four people will cry a whole bunch of people never come to the funeral. A whole bunch of people don't even know that you died. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and we're getting ourselves worked up from some random stranger with no name and no face on their profile saying you're a con artist or yeah. you're a what whatever it's like you mean nothing to me yeah. um now it's easier said than done like real story two days ago so i had one of my best so when i was um younger i had a, a girlfriend a girl uh, not girlfriend a mate who was a girl yeah we did everything she was like a sister to me mm-hmm. i loved her to bits and from the age of probably yeah 18 to 25 I would have classed her as my sister. But 25 is where I really started changing the way, or she went full left. Like, she's a proper lefty. And there's nothing wrong with that as such, but she's, she went proper high and mighty. I went obviously the business route. And we are polar opposites. So she's like this communism loving, um, she says she's a scientist, but she's not. Um, sorry. Anyway, it was actually over COVID thing. Like, I'm like, I can't believe I've lost a friendship over COVID. But anyway, um, well, it wasn't over COVID. It was it, we had separated a long time, mm. and literally out of the blue, like I, we hadn't spoken for about two years. I had this essay of a WhatsApp going, just like whoa, just like two barrels, like right into, and I was like, whoa, okay, this is weird, and like always with any conflict i always try to seek understanding because what what is conflict conflict is basically two different opinions and what is that why do you have two conflicting opinions there is always a miss there's a gap of misunderstanding isn't there always Mm -hmm. with two people that there's either a gap of misunderstanding or one party has misunderstood data incorrectly Mm -hmm. Uh, help this goes that's covid everyone's saying everyone's like combating you know data ignoring covid but I always want to seek the gap of misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And I went straight into, whoa, um, long time to see, hi. <laughs> um, um, what's what all this? Um, I said, I think I was like, so I just really want to understand where you're coming from. Can you just clarify, you know, this, this, and this? Like, like I wasn't fighting or anything. Mm-hmm. Cue another essay. I was like, how pretentious you are. How do you? Oh, my God. And, and I tried to reason even while I was like, whoa, there's a, there's a lot of emotion here. What is the key thing? What are you actually angry about or whatever? Um, because she was angry about my stance on COVID, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she wouldn't even answer any questions. She just came on, my mother almost died. Blah, 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 blah. And in the end, I was like, look, if, if you're not going to engage in a, in a scientific or, you know, a, a logical, reasonable conversation, I don't want to argue. I want to... Because I genuinely seek, like if someone really does oppose an, an opinion, anything, not just COVID, business, whatever, I really want to understand why, what what data has led you to form that belief? Because yeah. every single day you should interrogate the data set from which you form your opinions on, mm-hmm. okay? This is something I say to uh, myself or Anne Ellie every day. When was the last, like or when I'm chatting with Ellie on, on something or a member of staff, I was going, okay, when was the last time you interrogated the data that you formed that, your opinion on that? And most people's opinions are based on old data mm-hmm. or defunct data. So they may have formed their opinion on valid data at the time, and it was a valid opinion, but data changes yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Context changes. So it's now old and defunct data. And yeah, anyway. So in the end, I was like, look, if you're, if you're going to act like this, we just, we really can't be friends. Um, and, and, and then another, uh, I've just blocked her. So yeah. she is now, I've given her like 10 chances over the last five years. That was the last straw. I will never talk to her again. Yeah. yeah. So but it's, it's also, 
I mean, it's good that you you make the effort um, to try and understand. And some of the time, especially where trolls are concerned or anything online, is what you say and what you do actually have nothing to do with it. It's what they perceive you are. And they're just effectively yeah. projecting yeah. that you're that, that their anger, their unhappiness and everything else onto you. And, yeah. um, and that can be, and that idea of what you are can be nothing to do with you at all. It's just a, they're projecting their own self inadequacies on yourself or yeah. to other people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you are then, you are then that, out, you're that, you're that punch bag. And we, we talked about this on a previous episode where we were at the, we were being targeted yeah. And it, and it wasn't because of anything we had specifically done or said to any degree or, or any it's desire for that, that person. person thought of us. Yeah. There's was, nothing we could do to change that. No, they, they yeah. put us in this target and said, right, I'm going to find everything I possibly can and to reinforce that position. And, and when you look back, right? they, you could see that they thought that from the beginning. It yeah. just hadn't shown itself yeah. yet. You know, you, could, you can kind yeah. of, in hindsight, you can see these <clears> things earlier on. There's a, I often listen to the Joe Rogan podcasts and um, one of the things that he often says to his guests that are on there who have like high profile accounts and so on. And you can see even people that have reached an element of fame and notoriety where you think, and money and everything, and you think, well, it shouldn't bother them anymore. Like, what are they yeah. going to worry about? And you can see they'll tie themselves up in knots because they're reading the comments and they're beating themselves up and they're like, but they can't say this about me and they shouldn't do this. And he would often yeah. say to the guests, he'll be like, just stop reading the comments. Was it, um, comments. was it Jimmy uh, Kimmel that does the, when uh, celebrities read out mean, the mean comments? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> but it does, we're human at the end of the day. Yeah. You'd, you'd be lying if it said, yeah, whatever, it doesn't affect me. It does. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But I guess not just business, like, one of the key traits that you should, everyone should have is extreme open-mindedness. Mm -hmm. So I have opinions, but loosely held. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I always try and seek why I'm wrong. So for example, put it like the most extreme version of extreme open-mindedness is that like I've seen the curvature of the earth with my own eyes mm -hmm. multiple times. I, I'm a pilot. I love physics. I love science. I'm always, I'm a geek. Mm -hmm. But I still, I think was it last year or the year before, I still sat through three hours worth of flat earth videos. <laughs> so there's me going, right, I'm 100% certain that earth is an oblate spheroid. And, okay, I'm just going to disconnect me, me, from my stance for a moment. I'm now, because I always look at everything like I'm, a, I'm an alien that's just vis visited earth for the first time. And, that, you know, obviously an alien that can visit another planet is going to be smart, but they're going to be completely subjective, objective, won't they? Yeah. So, okay, right. I'm going to remove myself from spherical Earth time. So, okay, I'm just going to embrace flat Earth. See what they have to say. And, yeah, after three hours of watching through that drivel, I'm, I'm now <laughs> I was just, to... <laughs> I was about to say, how was that? And then you said drivel, and I was like, there we go. <laughs> drivel. Yeah, it, it really is. And what you'll find is there's not a single pilot on the planet that is a flat earther. There's not a single scientist on the planet which is a flat earther. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, it, I saw a quote that I showed you the other day. It said something like, you'll find flat, flat earthers all around the globe. And yeah. Like, Just read that back slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's important as well. You, just, said, um, you said you'll always look for where you may be wrong or often we we can all be guilty of doing the direct opposite of that mm. right reinforcement of ideas yes. we're looking to seek that we're right all the time as opposed to yeah right, well, what are we missing and confirmation bias yeah. Yeah, yeah and looking for other people's approval 
Yeah. And I think if you're trying to make a difference in your life or trying to pivot or change, you can't afford to do that. Yeah. You've got to make your yeah. own way. Yeah, cool. So, well, this has been fantastic. Yeah, so. loved it. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've gone off all, all over the place. How long we've been talking? My God, two hours. <laughs> the longest Ooh. ever podcast we've done. So thank ah. you very much. But um, yeah, no, this has been awesome. Loved having you on the podcast. And I absolutely Thanks want to have you. more of Siam Kid on our podcast. I think you've got such a lot of experience in so many areas. And we've, as, as we said at the beginning, we've seen your growth over the years. And it's very inspiring to watch. So, um, and there's a lot of people that will benefit from, well, finding you online, finding the realistic trader, finding the wealth action plan, and just hearing more of what you've got to say. Because I think it's important. There's a lot of people that aren't like kind of forging a path out there and being yeah. independent and having the kind of mindset that you've got. So, yeah, it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what's Ellie's new business out of curiosity? Sorry? What's Ellie's new business out of curiosity? MyFairyPenPal.com. Oh, it's that one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, the, the, the thing, so, in fact, it was a troll that inspired us with that. So, what happened was, um, so we got the WAP, the Wealth Action Plan. And so, actually, Ellie had the idea of um, my fairy pen pal years ago, but we never did anything with it. Mm. And in the WAP, I have this process called iPacman. It's a simple process which I follow with every new business. Um, and in the WAP, we're not promising anything crazy. So there's two main milestones, which I can definitely help with, which is going from zero to 300 quid a month profit. Okay. Mm -hmm. As in your brand new side hustle. That is a re that's the hardest bit. Mm -hmm. So hard. It's ridiculous. But going from 300 quid a month to three grand a month. So easy. So easy. Mm -hmm. So, and what I've said that you can easily get to zero to 300 quid a month within three to six months. Easy. Well, not easy, but like if you follow the process, it's easier. And then you could easily get from 300 quid a month to three grand a month in a year or two. Okay. And then there was someone, some troll going, yeah, whatever. It's pure bullshit. Um, <clears throat> I was like, game on bitch. <laughs> um, so, so what we did, I was like, okay, we, I, I laid out a public um, gauntlet, so to speak. And I said, right, I'm going to set up a brand new business from scratch, zero customers zero, in, in an industry that I've never done. And Ellie, um, is getting a bit more time now that one of the kids are at school, etc. So I was like, hey, Ellie, let's do my fairy pen pal properly. And she was like, okay. <clears throat> and so our goal was to hit 300 quid a month profit within three months and three grand a month profit within the first year. And in the first three months, I just followed IPAC, man. I followed, yeah, so we hit 450 quid a month in the first two months, game on. And then we started November 2019. So it's literally we're now 13 months in. Um, and we're, do, we're doing four and a half grand profit per month. That's next. awesome. So, yeah. So whatever troll, hopefully you're watching this. <laughs> <laughs> and we did that during 2020. So, That's amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. But yeah, also my fairy panel is basically we, we, every two weeks, um, a fairy writes a letter and sends gifts and work stuff to uh, little girls. Yeah, so, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Annabelle did a was it was Ellie's trial um, back when she first. Uh, was thinking that's of embarrassing. That. No, it's, it's not. improved it's a lot since then. No, 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 so, it was great then. Yeah, yeah she it, loved it. Yeah, it was a great yeah. idea, and it was it was nice Cute. to be part of that. Really. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's cool. Like we've got like a whole wall of um pictures of because the kids write back to us every week. Oh, that's um, sweet. And so we just stick every letter on a wall, and yeah, so it's cool. <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, 
Thanks Sorry, I went off another one. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Loved having you on. We're definitely doing this again. And um, yeah, thank yeah. you very much. It's been great. Yeah. Let me know what your viewers think. If it was handy, if it wasn't, um, yeah, happily do this again. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thanks, Sarah. Cool. <laughs> Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye.